This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning. This is Thursday, December 8th. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Once again, Dr. Mattless. Oh, he tried to be here this morning. He wanted to be here this morning. We got a text from him saying that he couldn't say three words without coughing. Sad. He better be here uh, before tomorrow because tomorrow is Sadie Nielsen's last day with us. So we're counting on him to get it together, to pull through, and to drag himself down here. Even if he has to bring his blankie with him. Anyway, we wish him well. And, uh, yeah, wish him a speedy recovery. It's too bad, too, because uh, he's going to miss Brownie Day. I'm sure you wouldn't guess it if you guessed the long while. So take it out and put it on. It's a great big brownie smile. Yeah! That wasn't really the brownie that I was hoping for. Okay. Have you ever had a brownie smile, though? No. My son does because he pretty much wears his food when he's done eating. That is so true with any kid. Yeah. Cake smile, brownie it's like smile. Just get it in your mouth and now it's everywhere. <laughs> oh, goodness. Some food I wasn't really aware that could actually stick to your face. He gets to stick to his face. Yeah. It's, it's like amazing. they're eating in the dark. Yeah. And I don't know. He... They might as well eat in the dark at that point. Yeah. I just, I see pictures of him. He's just like, how did you do that? (laughs) Go wash your face again. You know, there's a big hole right here on your face. (laughs) Just Just open it wide enough. Maybe take smaller bites. Mm. Anyway, happy brownie day. It's also pretend to be a time traveler day. And uh, this is a very special day. The first known mention of such a concept is in ancient Hindu mythology. Mm. Time travel has also been brought up in the Talmud and early Japanese tales. And uh, a bit more recently, the cult classic Back to the Future trilogy depicts the adventures of American teen Marty McFly as he travels both into the future and to the past to right wrongs. So time travel is still a popular subject. I think there are several shows on TV right now that are about time travel. Doesn't yep. Doctor Doctor Who time travel? That's yeah. Um, phone booth. There's that one on NBC. It's called uh, Timeless. Timeless. Yeah. I think there's a comedy coming out too on Fox about a time traveler. I don't think it's huh. out yet though. But huh. but there's something about time travel that we just can't get enough of. Would you, if you had the opportunity to time travel, would you go forward or backward? Forward, you can mess up less going forward. That's a good point. You go backwards, and like family members disappear. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, which almost happens in Back to the Future. It does. Yeah. You know, I think uh, depending on on who you supported this election, a lot of people might want to go back and and do something about this election. I don't know. You know, speaking of Donald Trump, mm. in Back to the Future Part Two. Right. Biff Tannen in the alternate timeline is this rich mogul. He has his ho- own hotels and everything. And, yeah, yeah. and that was based on Donald Trump. So they wrote it. Uh, I don't think they predicted that he would be president, though. No. Anyway, 
Happy time travel day. I think I would travel back in time. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Just erase yourself from existence. <laughs> That's what happens. Everyone that goes back in time on TV, they erase themselves. But I think there are some depictions of time travel, though, in which you, you're you kind of just like a fly on the wall and nobody can interact with you. I think that would probably be the, the better way to way. go. More, oh, yeah. Then you're kind of a tourist. Yeah. You're not interacting with Yeah. Time. No, but there probably are some things that I would do differently. Later on the show, we're going to be talking about a guy that uh, wasn't the best first date he ever had. It was actually a blind date. Mm. So I might go back and change a date or two that I had. But anyway, everything worked out. You and I both got married. Sadie got married. So we don't regret anything. Against all odds. Yeah. I'm not sure who, uh, which one of us you're referring to there, but we'll that's okay. Le- let it just sit there and let you figure that out. Okay. Well, all that fun stuff coming up on the show. But first, let's head on over to Sadie Nielsen and uh, hear what's hear what's going on around the rest of the company. Company, the rest of the country. Sadie, what's going on? Upon leaving the Senate floor on Wednesday, Vice President Joe Biden told the media, I have no intention of running for president in 2020, according to the Washington Post. Biden had previously told a small group of reporters on Monday night that I am going to run in 2020 for president and would not confirm whether he was joking. I'm not committing to run. I'm not committed to anything, he said when pressed on Monday. I learned a long time ago, fate has a strange way of intervening. Biden would be turning 78 in 2020. U.S. District Judge Mark Goldsmith suspended a recount in Michigan on Wednesday that began three days ago and hadn't revealed any fraud or information that would significantly alter results. The recount cost as much as $3 million and was initially commissioned by Green Party candidate Jill Stein. There were various arguments in state and federal courts as to whether Stein was qualified to request this, given that she had no chance of winning the election based on the results. She was also involved in the recount efforts in the Wisconsin and Pennsylvania counts. U.S. President-elect Donald Trump will nominate professional professional wrestling mogul and Trump Foundation megadonor Linda McMahone to run the Small Business Administration. McMahone, 68, is a co-founder, along with her husband Vince, of popular professional wrestling franchise WWE. The couple have long been close to Trump, having donated to his foundation and famously featured on in one wrestling special. Trump touted McMahone has the right fit for the SBA because of her experience in the growing WWE from 13 employees to a worldwide empire of 800 employees. And finally, um, what's, the, what's the strangest thing you've received for Christmas, Jeff? Like where you got it and you were like, I have no idea what prompted you to get this for me. Um, if you... <laughs> can tell us what it is (laughs) well hopefully this person isn't listening i won't mention who it was but a pair of binoculars (laughs) do you do you not go hunting or anything like that well apparently i like to spy on people or bird watch or yeah interesting well here's a even more interesting gift um so you know the the giant store nordstrom they're yes. Seattle-based. Yes. They're gaining viral attention for an unusual reason. They are selling an $85 rock in a leather pouch. That's literally all it is. It's called the Medium Leather Wrap Stone. It's listed for $85 on the website. It's a simple rock, handmade, and leather pouch by artist Peter Maxwell. 
Um, the website admits, admits that even Nordstrom isn't sure of the item's purpose. A paperweight? conversation piece, a work of art. It's up to you, but this smooth Los Angeles area stone wrapped in rich vegetable tan leather uh, is secured by a sturdy contrast. Whip stitching is sure to draw attention wherever it rests. That's what the website says. Okay. So I'm (laughs) guessing that there was some sort of designer who accidentally put one of the rocks in this pouch and uh, they had an inflated ego or something and didn't want to admit that that wasn't supposed to happen. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe. Or they're trying to bring back the pet rock. Maybe that could be it too. You know, I am just not surprised by anything anymore. Like, <laughs> if Donald Trump is our president, why can't Nordstrom sell a rock for $85 in a leather pouch? I mean... Uh, you know, I think I'm going to wait until it goes to Nordstrom Rack. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Which is kind of like the... Uh, there is there is a smaller rock available for $65. Okay. In a leather pouch. So if you want a little, little bit cheaper. So there's the expensive pet rock and the budget pet rock. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you ever, has anybody in here ever owned a pet rock? Sean O'Neill proudly raises his hand in the affirmative. I was a youngster when those were around. But uh, <laughs> yes, had a pet rock actually in the box that said pet rock on it. Did you name it? I don't remember, actually. You I don't know, even remember where the rock went. They say that if you talk to they may your... may have gotten up and walked away. I have no idea. If you talk to your pet rock, it'll help them grow. That's true. Same with plants. I had a chia pet. I had one of those, too. Yeah. Those are great. I had the Elmer Fudd chia pet so I could grow hair on Elmer Fudd's head. Because <laughs> he never had hair in the cartoons. <laughs> Sadie, thank you so much. That was fun. All right. Well... She mentioned one political story there, Terry. What else do we have going in the political world? Uh, well, as the Trump turns, maybe we should <laughs> oh, call that it the that. soap opera. Is there a call theme it song at, for we should, that? We'll figure that out. As the it Trump should be called turns. as the Trump turns. Well, just uh, as a note of warning, the government shuts down on Friday night if Congress doesn't pass a spending bill. You sure it's not? These are the days of our Trump. It could be. So they need this spending bill. Republicans uh, are going to force a specific issue attached to the spending bill to get it through, right? Hmm. So you can't just do the spending bill to get the government funded and move on. They're going to attach something that the Democrats don't like, but mm-hmm. they're going to vote for because they can't vote down the spending bill. Right, right. But I also heard this, tricks. this spending bill only goes through like April yeah, yeah, 28th. Yeah, this is just what they've been doing, kicking it down the road, and we'll right. deal with it with the next Congress that comes in. So what this says is Republicans are betting the Senate Democrats won't shut down the government over a GOP effort to speed the confirmation of retiring of retired General James Mattis as Donald Trump's defense secretary. Oh, right? I know, I know what they're attaching then. So James Mattis needs a waiver mm-hmm. because he hasn't had enough years out of the military before he serves in a top position. So yeah, they that, need a waiver to to get rid of that rule. I don't understand the rule myself. Yeah, it's whatever reason the rule's there, but the de- Democrats could use that to hold up his confirmation. Right. And to avoid that, they're just going to put it in the spending bill, and the Democrats are going to go fine because they can't vote against the spending bill. So it's not going to get shut down. No, but it's just no. more political shamakery yep. stuff. Yep. Um, also, last night, a union leader from Indiana was interviewed. On, uh, he was interviewed in, by the Washington Post, and he was talking about this carrier deal, mm-hmm. right? With that Donald Trump unveiled yes. last week, mm-hmm. the company he was saying Donald Trump went there and said that they they're going to save eleven hundred jobs, and the union leader comes out and he's mad because 
they're not saving 1,100 jobs. They're saving 730 or some odd jobs that mm. way. That's pretty close. So his 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 problem is is you show up, just say how many jobs you're saving because he has all these members now that are that were assuming they had jobs because they all know the math and some and it's, not. It's not working. So now these people don't have jobs, and he's like, you know, if you're going to show up, tell the truth. Don't show up and try to fudge the numbers. They counted 350 research and design jobs that were never intended to leave in the first place. Ah. Right? So they kind of incorporated jobs that weren't really part of the whole deal. Well, so he goes and talks about this in the Washington Post and who cares? It moves on. Well, then Donald Trump started tweeting about this oh, guy no. specifically. Mm. He's the union leader, local 1999 in Indiana. Right? It's not like he's an elected official. He's you know a governor or something. He's going after this one individual. So the guy, CNN, grabs him and he talks about what's going on and what's it like to have the Donald Trump basically lighting you on fire on Twitter. And he goes, well, I didn't even know what happened. The guy owns a flip phone. He had a friend call him and said, hey, the president-elect is talking about you on Twitter. And he's like, what? And so he started, he, someone showed him and he's like, what's he doing? He has a cabinet mm. to fill. He has like work to do. What's he going after me for? And that, and that continued last night. Just more. It was this guy is a hor- one of the tweets said this guy is a horrible leader and this no wonder jobs are leaving the country and all this stuff. He he runs a union or, or one union organization in Indiana, and somehow it's this thing that the president elect is sitting on his couch apparently watching TV focused on. I think it's uh, I think it's Trump's tweets that led this guy to get a flip phone. I miss so, those. Those were pretty sleek. Yeah. So it says uh, Carrier said he had agreed to preserve 800 production jobs in Indiana, uh, 350 engineering positions. He, he counted the 350 engineering positions that weren't leaving. United Technologies, meanwhile, still plans to shuttle 700 factory jobs to Monterey, Mexico after the all, all the stuff from last week. So, yeah. I think Donald needs a flip phone. Just get him off Twitter. In other news. Okay. Yesterday, Small Business uh, Administration was a uh, there's an appointee that Donald Trump made, and it's it's uh, the former CEO of WWF at the time, Linda McMahon. Play clip. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the CEO of World Wrestling Entertainment, Linda McMahon. What brings Linda McMahon to Hartford and SmackDown here tonight? Things have always been pretty bizarre with the McMahon family. Just when I thought it couldn't get any more bizarre, last week on SmackDown, I see my husband pick up our daughter and body slam her in this ring. And it, it's just going to get more bizarre. Absolutely. So. Wow. She, she stepped down from the WWE in 2009 as CEO. She ran for Senate twice out of Connecticut in 2010 and 2012. She ran a business that started with eight people and grew to a worldwide company of 800 people with the WWE. So, I mean, she has these th- – it's just kind of an odd association that so she's been out there. She wasn't in wrestling when, uh, you know, Jake the Snake and The Undertaker and oh, Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah. Oh, they yeah. Were, really? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. mm. she's been in, She was right in there from the beginning. And then, then they brought her in in, like, 2003. Her and her family were all part of this whole drama thing in the in the ring and – Macho Man Randy Savage? Probably. He's probably Ooh, involved. Oh, so. yeah. So that's our small business administration head if, if she gets confirmed. She probably Excellent. Will. Excellent. Also, for some reason, Senator Ted Cruz was asked about queso yesterday. Mm. So he, what makes uh, Texas queso so great? It just tastes good. 
It, it speaks to the soul. Good queso relaxes you. Look, if che- cheese dip can be served on a Ritz cracker or with one of those tiny Vienna sausages, queso is made to be scooped up with tortilla chips dribbling down your chin and onto your shirt. One is a visceral, emotional, powerful family bond as you and your kids pour into nachos covered in queso. Uh, the other is party favors at, at an afternoon tea. Has anybody told him he's not oh, still running for president? I don't know, but I found that just quite <laughs> I'm sorry, yesterday. that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> this was uh, they actually did that on the Senate that's that wasn't on the was Senate just, floor. It was like outside the Senate chambers, yeah. But they but there was discussion on a Senate floor about queso? A, uh, queso okay, that, and cheese dip. That probably led to the discussion yes. in the hallway then. And they had a taste testing on the Senate floor. Apparently mm. they're very busy at the moment. Yeah. Well, they've got they've got queso, they've got barbecue. We have the go- the government needs funding, but queso, go ahead. Cheese dip one. That's right. <laughs> really? Yes. He sounded like he was still running for president. Oh, my goodness. Well, speaking of Ted Cruz and Donald Trump, we're actually going to be speaking with uh, with Dr. Glenn Gare, who is going to tell us a little bit about a trap that we want to make sure that we don't get into. So how do you like that for a tease? Dr. Glenn Gare, when we come back, this is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back in a minute or two. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, in disagreements, it can be difficult to see the other person's point of view. Dr. Glenn Gare, professor at the State University of New York at New Paltz, joins us today to give us some social psychological guidance for moving forward after the election and cautions against the all Trump supporters are like that trap. You know, when I read that when I read the uh, the title of, of the article, it made me think of that Twilight Zone episode, People Are Alike All Over. Anyway, thank you so much for being on the Matt Townsend Show, uh, Dr. Glenn Gare. Thank you for being with us. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Jeff. So what an interesting topic this is, and obviously something that is very fresh in people's minds right now. I just spoke with a neighbor the other night who talked about how he and his daughter are not really talking right now because of differing opinions uh, in terms of the election. So uh, in your article, you talk about uh, something called outgroup homogeneity and in-group homogeneity. So how does that how does that categorization how does that categorization work? Um, well, it's a pretty basic uh, social psychological set of processes um, that have been documented um, fairly uh, fairly reliably. Um, so the the basic idea, and I think it applies very much to the current um, the current political situation, is that we define ourselves as being parts of various groups in our lives. Um, sometimes we identify maybe with an ethnic group or a religious group, or it could even be a sports team. Um, you know, you could be a Yankees fan, for instance. <clears throat> um, and in an election kind of situation, you could define yourself as a Republican or a Democrat or a liberal or a conservative. And a very common thing is when you ask people, um, 
what are people in your group like? People tend to see a lot of variability. So if I'm a liberal, I might say, well, there's lots of different kinds of liberals out there. You know, there's not a single kind. But then when you flip the question around and you ask the people, okay, well, what are people in the other group like, an out group, a group that you consider different from your own group, and you tend to see this homogenized um, view. So if I'm a liberal, I might say, well, you know, we're all different from each other, but those conservatives, man, they are all the same as each other. Um, so that's really the outgroup homogeneity effect, and um, it leads to a lot of social problems, I think. So where, do, where does this type of thinking originate from? Um, you know, I think a lot of this is very tribal. Um, you know, a lot of my particular work and interest focuses on what we call evolutionary psychology, um, sort of taking a, a look at human psychological processes as things that adapted for pre-agrarian ancestral kinds of lifestyles that um, typified human evolution for the lion's share of human existence. Um, and under those kinds of conditions, we didn't live in um, large-scale civilizations like we do now. Um, if you look at any pre-Westernized society that's around the globe today, in fact, you tend to see people really sticking with, with their own group or their own tribe. Um, and, and so taking steps to benefit others that are part of your team, your tribe, your clan, um, these are things that have been very adaptive for humans for a very long time. Um, on the other hand, members that come from rival tribes where you're competing for resources, where there might be warfare, where there might be um, potential adverse consequences that they could inflict on your group or your tribe, um, that that ancestrally has posed adaptive challenges. And one psychological adaptation to that is to sort of see them in a different kind of way um, that makes it easier to benefit your own group um, and potentially inflict costs on another. You know, it's so interesting because you talk about these groups and there are so many people out there who, like you said, they've identified with one group or another, whether or not they actually, you know, feel that way or think that way. And that that's not just in politics, that's religion too. You know, somebody says, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, Catholic or I'm Orthodox, and even if they, they're not practicing, they just identify with that group. So, you know, you probably have friends with varying opinions and views. Do, do you feel like people tend to only hang out with others who, who agree with them, or do you think people are, are better than that and can get along with, with anybody? Um, well, you know, generally in life, I like to be optimistic, um, particularly about people, but when you look at the social psychology of how people operate, it's very clear that we surround ourselves by like-minded people. Um, we seek out information that confirms what we already believe. This is something that social psychologists will call confirmation bias. Um, we develop localized norms. Um, so, for instance, um, I'm in the Northeast in an extremely liberal um, part of the country on an extremely liberal college campus. Um, and I'm in a very liberal profession in, you know, the social sciences as a professor. So there's, um, in reality, I think there's very little deviation in the kinds of things that the people I run into believe. Um, you know, so there's really sort of a right answer. And now it's not right in an objective sense, but there's this sort of socially agreed upon right answer regarding things related to social issues and, and politics in particular. 
Um, and this issue, I think, has played out very strongly in the current election situation, much more so than any other um, that I've seen in my lifetime, where um, the very liberal mindset that exists in, on college campuses, particularly among faculty, particularly among professors, um, is uh, so inconsistent with what Donald Trump has sort of espoused in his, um, in his campaigning and so forth, that I think there's a much bigger disconnect um, at that level than there has been in the past. Mm, mm. You know, in your article, you, you mentioned a student who was attacked for voicing his political affiliation. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been uh, very interesting for me to see these things play out. A, partly because I'm a social scientist, so I sort of examine these things and study these things. Um, but B, this this past year I've served um, as the uh, the chair of a task force that our president, Don Christian, put together on free speech-related issues. Um, so if you look around the nation, you'll see that uh, there's been a lot of issues on college campuses about, you know, what's been said, who said what, um, what kind of speakers are allowed to come, people getting disinvited from campuses. Um, there's been a lot of this kind of stuff. So our, our campus kind of, I think, wisely decided to put together a task force to examine and to discuss these kinds of issues. So I've been um, looking at, at these kinds of things very closely and having it all play out this particular semester during this highly divisive election um, has been really fascinating. So, um, for instance, we had a discussion, an open discussion in a large lecture room about three weeks ago. Um, it was designed to discuss issues of free speech on campus in a broader sense, but it was right after the election. So, you know, issues regarding the election uh, emerged. And what was very striking was that the faculty in the room, let's say it was about 50% faculty, 50% students, the faculty in the room were almost 100% lockstep in their perspective on issues related to the election and the politics of it all. But the students showed much more variability. Hmm. Um, and, and I'd say maybe a third of the students you know, kind of stood up and said, I identify as, as conservative. Um, and this has been an incredibly hard time for me, a hard environment. Um, one student reported, you know, I was berated by my, my fellow classmates and in a class discussion when I stood up and said I voted for Trump, you know, got called sexist, got called racist, um, you know, how could you have done this kind of thing? And, the, you know, to me, there's always like the personal level and the abstract level, you know, so at an abstract level, sure, you know, I didn't vote for Trump, and it is kind of hard for me to understand um, the other side, but on a personal level, I know that student very well, and he's an incredibly good guy who would, you know, never do, never treat anyone poorly, you know, so to um, uh, to sort of have him attacked because of his political views and, and political actions that he believes are right is, is has been a very, uh, I'd say, a very distressing part of all this. Oh, that's a great word to describe it, you know, and, and you don't just see it in politics either. You, you see it in religion, you know, in the LDS church, you know, oh, you're all polygamists and mm-hmm. in the Catholic church, oh, all of your leaders are, you know, molesters. And mm-hmm. it's just not true. Right, right. Absolutely. Ah, Absolutely. So, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say the more, you know, there's, there's several things you can do to sort of combat these, these biases. And one of them is really to kind of get out there and, and talk to people, you know. So if, if you hold these perceptions about um, conservatives and you're a liberal or vice versa, you know, getting out there and, and talking to these people and listening to what they have to say is probably the number one way to, to sort of combat outgroup homogeneity and, and similar kinds of, of biases. Do you think that do you think that there can be peaceful protests because we've seen, you know, examples in the in the news recently where peaceful protests have just really gone south? Can it can it happen? Gosh, um you know, it's of course it's possible, um but it's the possibility for peaceful protests going awry is also highly possible. Um I think we saw that on our campus. We had about 1000 students and and faculty um, demonstrate. It was the Friday after the election. Um, they went into town. You know, the campus is right near the town. They went up and down Main Street. Um, everything seemed fine. They had some bullhorns and this kind of thing. The faculty here were, you know, generally supportive of this. And then they went into the building, you know, and, and they weren't supposed to go into one of the classroom buildings. And, and you know, once they did that, then then problems naturally emerged. Um, you know, people were giving exams, um, you know, people started, tempers started flaring, you know, who cares about your exam, look what's happening to our country kind of thing. Um, you know, so once you have a, any kind of demonstration, a large-scale demonstration is going to include a mob, you know, a large group of people. And anytime you get a large group of people together, even if it's all great people with the best of intentions, um, the social psychology says that a lot of things can go wrong. Um, people can become de-individuated, they can get lost in the mob, um, they can act in a way that is not consistent with how they would if they were just an individual. Um, so, uh, you know, I think we have to be wary about that. Is there any, uh, is it effective at all to just, to be silent? For instance, my my dad has differing views from the rest of our family, and whenever we're having political discussions, you know, since he's in the minority in the, in the family, he usually, instead of getting worked up and, and really passionate, he'll just choose to not say anything. Is there is that effective or, or do we need to have a more open conversation? Um, <clears throat> you'll definitely hear uh, you'll he- hear about benefits on both sides of that. You know, it sounds to me like your dad's taking a, a pretty wise approach, I, I would say. Um, kind of depends on what the, the goals are, but... When the, um, I guess we can talk about an epistemological divide, you know, when the way that we see things are so discrepant or so different from one another, um, you know, from our own experiences, we know that even with the best of intentions, those conversations can often go south very fast. Right. Yeah. And like I mentioned earlier, you have families that stop talking to each other because of of differing opinions and, and just become, they have an estranged relationship now. Yes, um, it's, it's very, uh, it's really unfortunate to see. I mean, you know, I don't know about where you are, but I'm hearing stories about Thanksgiving, and this person didn't come to Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. How he or she voted, or, or they did come to Thanksgiving, and half of Thanksgiving was fighting about politics, you know, and lots of how could you kind of things. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's that kind of conflict happening at so many levels um, around the country right now, I think. And as you said, you, you know, you're, you're seeing it where you're at a lot, too. 
Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Well, Dr. Gare, let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, let's continue the discussion. Uh, Dr. Gare has been speaking to us about all Trump supporters are like that, and we we need to get out of that trap. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion. Very interesting topic and something that is very, very close to a lot of people's hearts right now. This is the Matt Townsend Show, and this is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt while he's away. We'll be right back. to the Matt Townsend Show. This morning, we are so blessed to be able to speak with Dr. Glenn Gare, who uh, is talking to us about Trump supporters and how they may not all be alike. We need to get away from that trap. A couple of questions that we're going to pose are, why is seeing someone else's point of view such a difficult thing to do? And how do we become more open-minded as we move forward together after the election? So here to hopefully uh, give us some insight on these important questions is Dr. Uh, Glenn Gare. Dr. Gare is professor and chair of psychology at the State University of New York at New Paltz, founding director of the campus's Evolutionary Studies program. He also runs a blog for the Journal of the Evolutionary Studies Consortium, and he is the author of Evolutionary Psychology 101, which I believe you can find on Amazon. Is that correct, Dr. Gare? Yep, you can find it in Kindle and paperback editions. All right, so go check that out. Uh, So... You know, in this election, you mentioned how this election obviously is is uh, maybe a little more heated and, and different from past elections that we've seen. Um, social media has played a bigger part than any other election, obviously, because we've had more advances in that field. But um, social media gives everyone a voice. Do you feel how do you feel like this contributed to more contention this election? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely did. Um you know, part of it is with social media, people can get their ideas out there very quickly. Um, I think we've seen a lot of cases of people getting ideas out there in perhaps impulsive kinds of ways, and that can sort of fan the fire. Um, you can get your ideas out there in a way that reaches a worldwide audience in, in real time. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, that all has has played a very big role, you know, in the role of the media um, and the way things have been sort of presented by various media sources. And now we're hearing so much stuff about what they're calling the fake news seems to have um, right. played into all this as well. So, yeah, I think uh, social media and advances in communication have definitely played a very big role in all this. And you mentioned earlier in the program, too, uh, that student who was just berated for, for admitting that he voted for Trump. And so you're probably seeing that on a probably a lesser scale on social media with with bullying and people unfriending each other on Facebook. Oh, a- absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that would be a very interesting um, study in and of itself, actually. Um, you know, people who are politically strong one way or another, I've certainly seen posts um, from people saying, by the way, if you support, you know, this particular candidate, then that means that you don't share any of my values and, you know, I'm unfriending you. Um, And I think I've seen multiple cases of people on my Facebook feed 
you know, coming out with that particular kind of statement. So, yeah, I think um, I think that's definitely happening. Wow. And, you know, obviously we've seen an increase in social media usage with the candidates themselves and particularly Donald Trump. Uh, how how do you feel like his Twitter usage, for example, had an impact on the election? Oh, my goodness. Um you know, I kind of laugh. I mean, I saw the Saturday Night Live um, episode where they were were poking fun at him about the the, the tweeting that he. Oh doing. right, it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's. It, I mean, there's something kind of funny about it. Um, you know, no one's ever done anything like this before. You know, and I think people who did vote for him, I think um, what's what's partly, I guess, was appealing about him was he kind of has a regular guy kind of thing going on, and you know, sending tweets that are just, you know, speaking to, you know, I don't like, I don't like that, um, that episode of Saturday Night Live, or, you know, I don't like what this, what this guy from this company said, this wasn't right. Um, he tweeted about the, uh, the whole Hamilton and, and Pence situation. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that I think are very turned off by this, you know, who are saying that's not professional at all. Um, his statements on Twitter are not not well formulated. They're not articulate. It doesn't provide a mechanism for getting nuanced thoughts out. Um, <clears throat> but I think there's a whole other group of people out there who think, yeah, I'm listening to this guy. And, and this is, you know, these this that communication approach, I think, is connecting with an awful lot of people, in fact. You know, and, and talking about uh, falling into that, that trap of, of that mindset of all Donald Trump supporters are alike, you know, I, I had an interesting experience after the election, I just flipping through all the different late night shows and seeing, I, I felt like I was watching, you know, not to, not to lessen this experience, but I felt like I was watching post 9-11 coverage or something because every, all the coverage on TV was just so somber and serious. And you would think that, Nobody was happy that Donald Trump had won the election, where, whereas, you know, a lot of people that are in Hollywood and, and put on these shows are very liberal. And that's how they were reflect. That was reflecting how they were feeling. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely. Um, and, you know, like I was saying, in my particular corner of of the country, things are so incredibly liberal here, you know, and, and you know, my family, we're kind of included in this and the the that sort of culture around here it was it was a shocking um a shocking kind of experience and the 911 um connection or illusion has been uh, has been made ex- extensively um that that was sort of the feeling among among so many people that identify as as liberal and like you're saying it's pretty fascinating because obviously there's millions and millions of people who feel quite quite different Right. You know, so there are just there are people on on both side of this that are hurting and they wanted to make sure that their voice was heard. Uh, we, we mentioned your blog uh, and your blog posts that you've that you've written in past blog posts. You've mentioned that uh, you may have been a little guilty of being closed minded in the beginning. Can, can you tell us a little more about that? Not to put you on the spot or anything. Sure, sure. I don't mind that at all. Um, in, in fact, it was a really, for me, a very interesting uh, experience. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, um, my friends and family, we were sort of following the polls. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll give away my cards. I was a huge Bernie supporter and, you know, still still have a soft spot for, for his approach and, and his politics. 
Um, so once things, you know, typical liberal Democrat, once things moved toward Hillary, it was kind of like, okay, we have to get get behind her. We're following the polls. It looked like she had a lock on the election. You know, it really, you know, all the best polls. And the Depending best on polls. what uh, channel you were watching. It, it, it kind of did. It kind of did, you know. But you know, we're wa- you know the stuff that we're watching, of course, you know, says, oh, she's she's going to win. And uh, you know, we had a little party. We had we had some friends over um, watching the election. And man, alive! By about nine fifteen, it was all over. You know, and by ten, we're like, oh my goodness! You know, it was a very. Uh, it was a. Uh, for for us, for this particular group of people, it was kind of a, a shocking kind of event. And, you know, a lot of us were very, very upset um, the next day. So I wrote a blog. Now, this is this is based on, on data. I wrote a blog saying, well, what happened here with Trump winning partly is that the uneducated people got their, their candidate. And I will say that um, there's never been as big of a divide among the highly versus less highly educated people in terms of who they were voting for. So I essentially wrote a blog making that point. Now, you don't have to spin it too hard to have that come across as insulting. And I guess I didn't quite realize that when I wrote it and when I posted it. Hmm. Um, you know, I was kind of emotionally emotionally charged, I think, at the time. Now, this, to me, was an extremely interesting experience. So that blog post... Um, got, I think, over 80 comments, which is a very high number for any of my blogs. And I'd say 95% of them were from people who identified as conservatives or identified as people that had voted for Trump. And people were furious, which I'm not used to. Usually my blog posts get people say, oh, I like this. This is very right. Nice. Yeah. You know, uh, people were furious. And the other thing that struck a chord with me was, A, um, none of these people said, you know, I voted for him because I'm a racist. I voted for him because I, I hate women. I voted for him because I'm a misogynist. Um, no one, you know, so these are the things people in my circle think, you know, this is what a Trump supporter is. And none of the people identified as that being the rationale for their vote. So that was kind of fascinating. You know, people in our circles, you know, my little bubble here in, in New Paltz, New York, think, oh, you know, this is this is, you know, this is the mindset. This is what, what all these people are thinking. And once you read the comments, it was such an experience for me. And wow, there are so many other perspectives out there, so many facets I maybe hadn't seen, so many intelligent voices, articulate voices from people holding extremely different political ideologies from myself. Um, many of the people identified as very highly educated, um, people with doctoral level degrees and this kind of thing, CEOs of businesses that chimed in. And I will tell you that from my own experience, I, I learned quite a bit. For me, hearing those perspectives was extremely useful in saying, you know what, there's not a single mindset out there of people um, from the other side. Right. You know, and, and I'm sure you're not alone in, in people that took to social media after after the election. And, and that that includes Trump supporters, too. You know, I'm sure there were a lot of people that went out and said, you know, if you didn't vote for Trump, then this and that. But, you know, you mentioned the, the party that you had. And there was another Saturday Night Live sketch where they they had a party where they were watching the results as they were coming in, too. Um, I don't think I saw that. Oh yeah, yeah. It was it was pretty good. Anyway, um, so obviously you, you you mentioned you learned a lot from this experience. How do you feel like the experience with your blog post 
helped you to become more open-minded? And, and what would you suggest to anybody out there who is having a hard time doing that um, on know, either side, on either side? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, there's definitely, you know, no matter where you are in the country, there's, you're, you know people on, on both sides, and most people feel very strongly about it. I think what, what I found, um, there's, a, uh, there's a lot of people that are, who are in this situation that think, well, we need to tell these people. They, we need to get them to see this or this, you know, this kind of thing. But to me, what I learned is it's not about telling, but it's more about listening. Um, so, uh, you know, from my perspective, I think what we need to do is, you know, we need to bridge this divide. We need to bridge this gap. So if you voted for Hillary and you have a Trump person in your family or in your neighborhood um, or on your Facebook feed, I think it would behoove you to say, well, you know, what were you thinking? You know, what, what, what do you think about these things? What, what is your perspective on this? You know, and, and essentially in, in, a, um, in a relatively non-judgmental way, you know, because when I get the comments on my blog, I just read them. You know, I might have responded to one or two, but for the most part, it was, it was an opportunity for me to really take in the other perspective. And I think that was really useful. So I think um, find that person in your life who's got this, you know, this different political ideology, and instead of um, presupposing what that person thinks, um, give, you know, give that person some time and listen to what he or she has to say. And I think we're going to have to do an awful lot of that as a country while we're moving forward. That is such good advice. You know, I, I've actually uh, taken some improvisation classes, and what they teach you is to listen, to not be so preoccupied with what the next thing you're going to say is, but to listen to what that person says, and then that will help you, you know, that'll fuel what you do next. But uh, great advice in the topic that we're talking about right now, so that we're not thinking about, oh, I, well, they're, I'm, I already know what I'm going to say, so I'm not going to listen to what they're going to say. So you mentioned going forward. You know, we, we've had some time, the election is a, a few weeks ago, we've had some time to, to vent to to be sad or to be happy, to celebrate, depending on, on who you supported. What advice, as we wrap up our interview here, what advice do you have for us going forward, whether you are a Trump supporter or a Clinton supporter, to help us move forward together? Yeah, um, I think that's really the really very big question at the national level right now. Um, I do think that a large part of it is... Um, you know, olive branches and, and reaching out and, and listening. I think that's a very large part of it. Um, I also think that people need to need to hold on to their own political beliefs, you know, and if the country's about to take a change that's inconsistent with whatever, you know, you think is the direction for, for the country, I think it's important that people can still be politically active um, in a way that is conciliatory, in a way that is um, bipartisan and, and that, you know, tries to ultimately take into account the fact that there's lots of different perspectives out there. Um, I'm part of a, a group after the election, a group of us in our area created something we call ourselves Move Forward New York. Um, and part of the goals of our group are to sort of, A, help advance political causes that we think are important for the direction of our country. But a major part of what we're doing also is what we're calling bridging the divide and trying to come up with ways that we can sort of 
help reconnect people across the political spectrum at this difficult time. Dr. Gare, thank you so much for for taking the time to be with us on the program here this morning. We really appreciate your insights and such a fascinating topic and obviously one that is very important to a lot of people right now. So thank you very much. Yeah, you got it. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Yep. Dr. Glenn Gare, he's the professor and chair of psychology at the State University of New York at New Paltz, and he's the author of Evolutionary Psychology 101, which, as he mentioned, you can find on Amazon and print in Kindle format. Uh, Go check it out. We'll come right back after we take a quick break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live an informed life. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We just got finished speaking with Dr. Glenn Gare, who talked to us a little bit about being more open-minded and not getting stuck in the mindset of, oh, all Trump supporters are alike or all Hillary Clinton supporters are alike. We know that's not true. We know that uh, we all have friends and family members who have varying belief systems than we do, and we still love them. We get along so if you're out there and you've, you've voted for Donald Trump, try to be a little more passionate. Try to be understanding of those whose views are, are different from your own. And also if you're a Hillary Clinton supporter, if, uh, you know, don't, don't think that uh, because you're a Donald Trump supporter, you're a misogynist or you're a racist. We know better than that. So let's band together. Let's move forward. And if you feel like your voice wasn't heard this past election— Soldier up, keep fighting, move on, and let's work together to help build a more unified country because we are hurting and a lot of people feel like their voices have not been heard. So we can all get together and and get along whether or not we have the same opinions and belief systems. When we come back, we'll be talking more about... uh, topics like this. Actually, we're going to be talking about gluten. We'll take a quick break when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Thursday morning. It is December 8th here on the Matt Townsend Show, and I'm pretty sure it's December 8th on any show, really. But it, uh, it's definitely December 8th here, too. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt while he's away. We wish him well. We wish him a speedy recovery. We want to make sure that he's here for Sadie Nielsen's last day. So any positive thoughts or prayers or positive energy you can send his way, I'm sure he would appreciate greatly. And it's too bad he's not here because he's missing out on Brownie Day. They'll catch us, stick us in cages, torture us, and finally devour us. Are you suggesting we go home? Nah, this is my father. Hmm. I guess when I think of brownies, I think of the dessert brownie, and maybe with some chocolate chips in it. I think those were the brownies from the movie Willow. 
Oh, yes. I remember them. Those little mm-hmm. – uh, they're probably a few inches tall. And uh, Wasn't one of them played by John Cleese? No. One of them was Kevin Pollack. Oh, okay. So uh, they were the comic relief in the film Willow. If you haven't seen it, it's a Ron Howard adventure movie. It's didn't actually they, quite good. Didn't they hang out in somebody's hair or something? Probably. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, they were tiny little creatures. It's a weird, fun adventure movie. Mm-hmm. And it's got Val Kilmer in it, pre-Batman. True. <laughs> but post-Top Gun, I believe. Anyway, uh, it is also Pretend to be a Time Traveler Day. And another story that we would mention, is, as far as time travel is concerned, is A Christmas Carol. This is the theme from The Muppets' Christmas Carol, or it's one of the songs from The Muppets' Christmas Carol. Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol tells us about how the main character, Ebenezer Scrooge, is transported back and forth through time to witness various various events, leading to his eventual change of heart towards mankind. This is such a great story, and really a story that people love around Christmas time, because... With Christmas, not only does it bring gifts and feelings of joy and happiness, but I think a lot of people are looking for redemption, which leads into January and all the New New Year's resolutions that we have. If it was possible, I think one of my New Year's resolutions would be to travel back in time. How far back? Um, well, earlier I, uh, I mentioned I would go back far enough to be able to change some of the bad dates that I've had in my life. Oh, okay. Which is interesting because we will be talking about a really bad first date that somebody had. But if you change the bad dates, would that make it so that you might marry that person? No, I would just, just wouldn't go out with that person. Oh, I see. Yeah. Anyway, um... Wow. What's the worst date you've ever had in the nut world or in the, you know, <laughs> raisins? The, wait a minute. Walnut? Yeah. Almond? What? Anyway, that was a very bad joke. Anyway, I'm sorry. We first need to get to Sadie Nielsen, who is only with us for another day. Don't go. We're going to head over to her. Who Sadie Nielsen's got the headlines of what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie, what's up? Tennessee authorities announced Wednesday that they've arrested two juveniles and charged them with starting the fires that spread to Gatlinburg, resu- resulting in 14 deaths and thousands of acres worth of property loss. Officials did not name the suspects or explain exactly how they believe the juveniles started the blaze. Country icon Dolly Parton has organized a musical telethon to raise money for victims of the Tennessee wildfires that destroyed destroyed more than 1,700 homes. President-elect Donald Trump has chosen General John Kelly to be the next Secretary of Homeland Security, multiple outlets reported on Wednesday. The choice of Kelly follows Trump's appointment of Lieutenant General Michael Flynn to be National Security Advisor and the nomination of General James Mattis as Defense Secretary. Kelly was previously the leader of the U.S. Southern Command and oversaw operations in Iraq. Last month, the U.S. exported more natural gas than it imported for the first time in almost 60 years. The country exported 7.4 billion cubic feet of liquefied gas a day in November, compared to the $7 billion cubic feet it imported 
feet it imported daily, the Wall Street Journal reports. American gas exports have jumped more than 50% since 2010, and the Department of Energy expects the U.S. to become the third largest exporter of liquefied natural gas by 2020. And finally... You know, if you're looking for a good Christmas vacation, this might be am. the place for you. Um, a permanent year-round hotel, ice hotel is scheduled to open in, to the public in Sweden in mid-December. <gasps> the resort, known as the Ice Hotel 365, clever name, hosts 55 rooms and 20 suites and is made up of 30,000 liters of frozen water from the Torn River. The hotel usually uses a solar-powered refrigerating plant uh, that keeps the ice and snow uh, frozen and guests at the hotel will have the opportunity to create their own ice sculptures, swim in the Torn River and sauna, and observe an ice gallery of from order forty artists, designers, and architects from nine different countries that will melt back into the river and eventually be replaced. Rooms cost two hundred thirty dollars a night. Hey, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, but, it, but is there heat? So each bed is covered with uh, fur skin things. From what it looked like? Pelts. Thank you. Oh, what are those? I can't remember what those called. They're covered with pelts. And uh, I think I believe you have to actually wear your parka to sleep. Oh, my gosh. So it's more like an experience type thing than a more of a comfort type thing. I'm more the Randy Quaid kind. I'll take my RV around during Christmas and <laughs> yeah. sleep in the RV. Good point. Good point. Sounds like an ice place to visit. Huh? That's funny. Oh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> Nobody snows hotels like oh my the Swedish. Gosh. Wow. This is what happens when Matt leaves. Suddenly, the puns become unburrable. <laughs> oh, wow. I can go home now because you you topped it, Sadie. Sadie, while, I, while we've got you here... We we teased a story about a, a really bad first date, uh-huh. and you had to look it up on Google, but you must have posted about it because you've got a really bad first date or blind date. I do. So when I was at BYU my freshman year, I had a roommate who really liked to do group dates with um, a bunch of girls, um, but where the girls asked the guy out. And so... I wasn't like a super huge fan of it, but I kind of went along with it, you know, to please the crowd. And so sometimes other girls would suggest, you know, who you should go on a date with. And so one of my friends said, oh, you should go on a date with this guy. And I said, okay. So I asked him out. And so I, we decided we were going to go rock climbing down in Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. We lived in Provo, which is an hour away. And so we got in the car and I was taking him and my roommate and her date down. And so we started driving down. Um, and this guy didn't talk to me the whole ride down. He For an hour. For an hour. He literally was turned around talking to his friend and my roommate the whole time. Didn't say one word to me. And so obviously I was kind of, you know, a little irked by that. And so then we got to the rock climbing place and I was super disappointed to find out that it was a place where you, um, do like free rock climbing you know what that is like? So you don't actually have a rope. You like literally just jump on and off the wall and like you can go as high as you want and you just kind of jump down. Hmm. And so I was like, okay. And so all the other girls dates paid for them. And then when it was my turn to pay, my date didn't say anything. So I ended up paying for both of us. Oh. And I was like, this date is not going very well. So then 
this date decided to continually give me the silent treatment and we were on a group date with like 10 different couples and he decided he was just going to wander off with some of the other guys that were there and he didn't talk to me again the whole time we were there so I kind of stayed with some other people and rock climbed with them and talked to them didn't talk to my date and then we went and got oh this is the best part we went and got burritos afterward at a little Mexican shop which costs little to nothing and he said oh I'll pay for you for that because I think some of the other girls saw he didn't pay for me and were upset with him and so then he paid for the two dollar burrito which was so sweet and then we drove all the way back and he continued to not talk to me the whole way back and uh, no one offered to pay for gas either so I ended up spending I think it was like 80 bucks on the whole date Oh, and without and, anyone talking to me. <laughs> and now this guy is your husband, right? No. Oh, okay. No. Oh, the funny part was uh, my husband and I now went to a concert thing and saw this guy there. And you could tell that this guy was, he realized Still he, had, single? he had missed his shot. Still single. Yes. Yep. <laughs> oh. So thank that's, you that's for, my bad date that I thank had. Thank you for sharing your pain with us. You're welcome. Anyway, the reason we talk about this is because Saturday night started out with hope and promise for an Alabama woman, but ended abruptly when her date was stopped by lawmen, pushed her from the car, and then led deputies on a chase. A sheriff's deputy just after 8 p.m. on Saturday stopped a Mazda with a male and female inside. The driver, later identified as 22-year-old Jesse Allen Elliott, told the deputy that he did not have his license with him, but offered a name and a date of birth. The deputy returned to his patrol unit to verify the information he was given. It was at that moment, said Chief Deputy Randy Christian, that the woman was pushed from the car and Elliot took off. And uh, this, <laughs> the, the police gave chase. And luckily, this woman wasn't injured. But I'm sure it was a horrible first date for her and a blind date at that. Believe it or not, this guy is still at large. Mm. So another guy you don't want to go on a date with. And we know him by name. Terry, you've never had a, a bad first date. Not that I can remember. Okay. That's good. <clears throat> Which means I may have been the bad first date. <laughs> and nobody told you? Yeah, I thought everything went fine. Uh, by the way, we wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah. So. <laughs> anyway, Terry, anything else that uh, that you want to talk about that we should be aware of here? You like movies. I love movies. You were very excited that Netflix announced that you can uh, download some programs directly to your phone or tablet yes well now uh bloomberg is reporting that apple is pressing hollywood studios for earlier access to movies according to people with knowledge of the matter Mm -hmm. a move that would bolster the company's itunes business 20th 20th century fox warner brothers and universal pictures all confirmed over the past week that they are looking to offer high-priced home video rentals of new movies shortly after they open in theaters. Some studio executives have been pushing to allow home rentals as early as two weeks after the theatrical debut and are considering a deal with iTunes as the option. See, now my problem with this is I already feel like iTunes movies are already high-priced. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, 15, 20 bucks, 30 bucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why don't I just watch it once on Redbox? Now they're looking at if you're going to watch it at home – then what's the cost of that? Is it the seven bucks, twenty bucks, whatever it is that you're paying at the theater? Mm. Do you pay forty bucks so you can have it two weeks after release? Well, you get to keep this digital copy, don't you? I don't know. It's not a rental. 
Don't know. Mm. That's why they're still negotiating. It might just end up being something you watch once and it's gone, just like uh, in the theater. Yeah. That would that would that would change the price point for me. Yeah. Well, but you know, yeah, you're at home, but when you're paying twenty dollars to go see it in the movie theater, you're kind of paying for the experience too. And now we've got a theater here locally that have that has a fully reclining seats, mm-hmm. not fully reclining, mm-hmm. but almost fully reclining. Yeah. And, uh, oh, you they're. Don't even, you don't even have to pay extra for that. I've I've been in those seats, but I guess you could fully recline at home too. You can, and you could and not, a lot, a lot not of, pay eight dollars for popcorn. Either. A lot of people have a, a theater type experience at home or a right. good sound system for their setup at mm. home, and they just want to watch it there. And they've been toying with the idea because there's there's been some people that have stopped going to the theaters. The the numbers of mm-hmm. people that attend have dropped. So how do we get them back? We put the movie in their home as soon mm. as possible. See, I don't, for me, these movies, the directors who make these movies, they make these movies for a big screen. They make them for yeah, right. a movie theater. That's where they should be seen. Yeah, but, you know, there are some movies out there that are just strict dramas or chick flicks that you probably don't need to see on a giant screen. Yeah. Well, yes, the third Smurf, Smurfs movie coming out next year probably doesn't need to be seen on a big screen. Good hmm. example. Good example. Okay. Or at all. <laughs> or at all. Um, interesting. Go there, but okay. <laughs> so yeah, they're negotiating. We'll see if this goes anywhere. But they've been talking about it for quite a while because people just want to sit at home and not have to go somewhere. But will they pay a premium to do that? But basically, if we can exercise patience, if we can wait two weeks, then we can save five to ten dollars. I wait six months and just get whenever Netflix starts offering the the DVD of the new release. You just get that. See, the trick is just don't see a couple of movies that you really want to see. And then soon enough, you're you're going to rack up a lot of movies that you want to see, and you can just knock them off one at a time as they come on video. That's what I've been doing. You see, Terry and I... I, I see what I want, but then there's other movies. Yeah. See, we get it. Is it a movie worth getting a babysitter for? That's really the, the thing right now. That is see, a then great there's some way. of us who have to go see these movies. Oh, right, because Sean O'Neill reviews movies mm-hmm. and gets passes to see them. But you see them for free. That's true. So I, I still you have can't to pay really for refreshments. That. No, I, that's why I don't usually throw myself into the discussion of movie prices. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> rental pri- rental prices, yes, that that's a different thing altogether. It's kind of like I saw Jerry Seinfeld do his stand-up routine, mm-hmm. and he was complaining about movie prices. Then I'm thinking, I'm sorry, you don't get to complain about movie ticket prices when you're making millions, dozens of millions of dollars every year. And Especially got, from B-movie. Oh, don't get me started on B-movie. <laughs> I wouldn't even give B-movie a B. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. When we come back, I was mistaken. We're not going to be talking about gluten. That's going to be later on in the program. We're actually going to be talking about over-the-counter drugs and maybe maybe why you shouldn't get them. I hope uh, Matt is listening because he's probably using quite a few over-the-counter drugs right now. We'll take a quick break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live a healthier life. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. The common cold is here, 
as I'm, I don't need to tell you that. If you haven't had it already, I'm sure you will soon. I've actually already had it twice. And uh, something nasty has hit Dr. Matt. Research shows that children will experience more colds, about 6 to 10 annually, than adults. With each cold producing symptoms that last up to 7 to 10 days, it may seem that children are nearly continuously sick. Parents want to help their ill children to feel better, but there may be a better way than just giving them over-the-counter medication. Here with us today is Dr. Ed Bell, professor of pharmacy practice at Drake University. Dr. Dr. Bell, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. My pleasure. So this is this is a very interesting topic for me because I have two little ones. I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old and one on the way. And my wife is consistently sending me to the drugstore to, to get some of these cold remedies that we can get over the counter. Um, and this is obviously a specialty of yours. What, what got you so interested in, in researching about the effects of over-the-counter drugs on children? Oh, I just I specialize in pedi- in the use of drugs in children and infants, so pediatric pharmacy, and I've had an interest in the appropriate use of drugs for children overall, over the counter and prescription drugs. And this is one area that's very common, and so I've written about it many times. I write a national uh, or a monthly column in the National News Journal, and uh, because this is in the news a lot, because it's very common, it's been one of the topics that I've written about. And because these products are available over the counter, it's easy to believe that they're relatively safe. And most of the time they are, but they can be dangerous. So I've thought over the years that it would be important to make sure that uh, healthcare professionals and the public is aware of that. Now, Dr. Dr. Bell, obviously, you know, our immune systems develop over time. What are, why else is it, though, that, that children experience more colds annually than adults? Well, the immune system is part of it. Uh, there are uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of different viruses that cause the common cold. Um, and we do build up some immunity to those. But probably one of the major reasons is just children's personal care habits are not the best, as you can imagine. They're always touching things and and uh, putting things in their mouth, and even when they get older, um, uh, touching their hands and, you know, and, and putting their fingers up their nose, and then they hug and touch their friends. And so as we get older, of course, our personal care habits improve. Um, and one of the best ways to pass a cold to somebody is to shake their hand. Mm. As, as you wipe your nose, if you have a cold, or you rub your eyes and you don't think about it, and then you meet somebody... 20 minutes later and you're introduced and you shake their hand, you could easily pass the virus on to them. You know, it's interesting. I, I just saw a commercial the other day where they were speculating, you know, what if you could see uh, sickness in the air and it showed this dad in the front seat of a car sneezing and it, there was this purple mist that spread out throughout the right. car. And Right, right. So right. Um, may I ask, uh, do you have kids? I have two children. They're older now. They're both in college. Uh, but, uh, yes, yeah, so they were young, of course, at one time, and we went through all the trials and tribulations uh, as well. Uh, even when my children were sick um, and they had a cold, I, you know, I would tell my wife, oh, it just needs to run its course, and she would want to give them drugs. And, and, and uh, I'd try to explain to her that uh, they can be helpful, but uh, they may not help that much, but she listens a little bit, but I think there's just that natural tendency that, you know, parental or human tendency. We want to help somebody. We want to help our children. Yeah. And, and with our society, 
today we have drugs just for about everything. So we turn to using drugs to do that. So, but in in pediatrics, we we have to be careful. That's one of the main points I always try to stress. Um, you have to be very careful using these drugs. Uh, first of all, we have very little proof, if any, that they help, and it's very easy to make a mistake. Uh, the younger the child, the easier it is to make a mistake. So that's one of the points I always try to get across. Um, and, and colds are self-limiting. They will go away in a few days. Uh, yes, they can cause very annoying symptoms, and nobody likes to have them. And we certainly don't want to see our children have them, but uh, they will eventually go away. So interesting, you know, you mentioned very little proof that these that these medications work. So do you feel like there are a lot of people out there that might not be able to recognize the difference between this medicine is working versus the cold just went away on its own? Right, exactly. Now, some of the medicines do cause drowsiness, which can be beneficial. So if, if a parent were to give their child one of these medicines and it causes them to sleep more, um, that's fine. That's actually good. Um, but um, in terms of helping the cough or the congested nose, the medicines, no proof that the medicines do that. Dr. Um, Bill, I'm right there with you on the, <laughs> the putting the kids to sleep. Oh, that's, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously you've... You've done a lot of research over your life on the, on this subject and other subjects. So it's it's interesting to me that you mentioned even before you've done some of this research when when your kids were younger that you you told your wife to just let it run its course. So even back then you it seems like you had a pretty good understanding of these medicines are not helping. Right, right. Right. And um you know, my wife insisted sometimes, and that's fine, and, you know, it's not worth getting into a big argument with my wife over. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, I think many people in our society, we when we have a symptom, whether it's a headache or a cold, we think, is there a drug that can help me? And uh, our society is built upon that quite a bit, so it's, it's natural for that to occur. Um, many times the public may not think, well, do these drugs really work? And if they're sold and available in a pharmacy, it sends a message, well, they must be working, or they must have some efficacy, or they wouldn't be in the pharmacy to be sold. Right. And that's not, that's not always the case. And there's a variety of reasons for that, political reasons and business reasons and things like that. So. And you mentioned, you know, just giving your kids medicine to pacify your wife, but um, do you feel like medicine, uh, the, one of the benefits of medicine is helping pacify children? For instance, you know, my kids, when they think they've got an ouchie, they come to me and ask for a Band-Aid, and you look at their arm right. or their hand or whatever part of their body that they feel like they've injured, there's no indication that they've hurt themselves. Right, right. It could be some of that. And certainly when a child has a cold, if they have a mild fever, it certainly it's reasonable, it's a good idea to use acetaminophen, which is Tylenol, or ibuprofen, which is Motrin, Motrin or Advil. I think that's certainly reasonable. That helps with fever. It can also help with any discomfort. So I'm certainly not advocating not using any drugs at all. What I have concerns about are the, especially the multi-ingredient cough and cold products that have two, three, four different drugs in them. Uh, and there's no proof that those, and some of those have acetaminophen, acetaminophen or Tylenol in it already. And then it becomes confusing. Parent may give Tylenol as a separate product in addition. 
And so the more drugs that are given, the more complicated it gets and the more likely there are um, uh, adverse effects with all these drugs being given. And that's been shown. There are case reports about that. Mm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So we're getting better. Now the products are more labeled that they have these cough and cold products. They're labeled better that there's acetaminophen in the product already. Um, Years ago, that was not the case. So it would be very easy to buy a product, uh, a cough and cold product that had Tylenol in it or acetaminophen, and then the parent would buy an additional separate bottle of acetaminophen, so they're actually giving twice as much as they should be. Um, That's probably occurring less. Although there there is still the potential for that to occur. So we as parents, before just running out and, and grabbing something we think is going to, to help our children, we really need to be more educated and, and know what it is that we're putting in their bodies. Right, right. Yeah. And the pharmacist can help with that. Uh, most of the time, if, the, if a pediatrician is involved, certainly the parents will ask the pediatricians. I think pediatricians, they know that these products are not, effective and there's some concerns with their safety, but I think sometimes they still recommend them just to placate the parents um, because, uh, you know, as human nature, if we feel we're doing something, we feel better. If we feel we're doing something to help our child, we feel better. And giving a medicine is is doing something. Yeah. Um, But there are other things that can be done, Uh, a humidifier, uh, honey, there are several good uh, published studies that have shown that honey is a good cough suppressant. In fact, we have no data or information that uh, the typical cough medicines uh, that's uh, in like Robitussin DM, dextromethorphan, is not effective in children. So we have more evidence that honey is effective instead of this drug dextromethorphan. Mm. Uh, let me uh, let's take a quick break. I want to continue sure. this discussion with you. Uh, when we come back, let's let's talk more about prescription drugs versus over-the-counter drugs, and then also some more ideas of of what we as parents can do, or just if we're getting medicine medicine for ourselves. We're speaking with Doctor Bell. Uh, who is a professor of pharmacy practice at Drake University. So when we come back, we'll continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live a healthier life. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt, who is away uh, sick right now, which is interesting because we're talking about over-the-counter drugs with Dr. Ed Bell, who is a professor of pharmacy practice at Drake University. He also teaches in the third and fourth years of the fourth year of Doctor of Pharmacy program at Drake. He also has a book titled A Parent's Guide to Children's Medicines, published in 2012, and a second edition of the book will be published in 2017. That's exciting, and it sounds like we need to pick up this book to to help educate us a little bit better, Dr. Bell, on this important topic. Yes, yes, yes that would be great. I, I do talk about uh, the common cold and problems with uh, giving drugs to young children and all the mistakes that can happen in the book. So, yeah. Um, the, the younger the child, the easier it is to make a mistake giving a medicine because the doses are 
so small and very difficult to measure out accurately. Mm. So, Dr. Bell, it's interesting. During the break, Sean O'Neill, who's sitting next to me, uh, he posed an important question I think is, is interesting. Why, why is it that when we pick up these boxes, these over-the-counter medications, it will typically say uh, you can take this medication if you're 12 or older? Why is it that 12 is the threshold? I don't think there's a particular reason for that, um, at least not that I'm aware of or I've ever read about. Uh, um, I don't think there's a, a specific scientific uh, reason for that. Um, um, that's just a cutoff that has been used in studies. Uh, six is another cutoff that we often see, uh, six and above or less than six. And two, two and in fact, that's what I thought your question was going to be. Many Many uh, over-the-counter products will say, we won't even give a dose for ages under two years. They'll say, uh, ask your pediatrician. And there is a reason for that, and that's because uh, for children under two, they are more susceptible to some very serious infections, such as meningitis. And often these infections can initially look like a common cold, and by the time the infection gets much more serious, the child can be in very bad shape or even die. So um, pediatricians like to see children when they're under two, even for what may be a common cold. They just want to be sure it's nothing more serious. But as they get older um, and as they get more of the regular vaccines, um, that's less of a worry. I mean, anybody can die of meningitis, but as the child gets older, the risk gets less and less. Mm, and, you know, that actually goes along with what I wanted to ask you next. You, you mentioned some of the adverse effects of, of giving, uh, especially young, really young children, some of those over-the-counter medications. But right. are there is there a difference between the efficacy of these drugs in children versus adults? You mentioned that there's right. no not a lot of proof supporting that they, they really do help help children. But what about adults? Uh, there is more evidence that some of the cold products, uh, like a decongestant, can be uh, helpful in adults. So that may lead you to wonder, why is that? And there's a variety of reasons. Uh, the, the body and the physiology of a young child and an infant is significantly different than adults. For instance, they, the infant has much more water in their body. An adult has about 55% of their total body weight is due to pure water. An infant can be 70 or 75%. Um, and then there are differences in, for at least for the common cold, how the sinuses develop, how the airways of infants and children are smaller, and uh, their livers metabolize drugs a bit differently. So it, I'm sure it's a combination of all these factors. That probably contributes to why are some drugs not effective in infants and children, yet they seem to be more effective in adults. Mm. So it's, a variety of, it's a variety of reasons, but those likely contribute to that. Yeah. You know, and we've been talking, too, about uh, becoming more educated in these medications that we're putting into our bodies. Um, and... You know, over-the-counter drugs are, are regulated different than prescription drugs. Is there any type of warning or, or labels that let parents know about that? No, the FDA is trying to improve upon that. Uh, there are many, many uh, over-the-counter products. And the FDA, since 1972, has taken a gigantic undertaking in trying to review 
all of the products that are available on the market to determine if they are safe and effective. And over those years, they have uh, um, some products have been taken off the shelf because they've not been shown to be safe and effective. And there are so many different products that the, the way the FDA does that is uh, reviews the products by category, so cough and cold category. There may be several drug, specific drugs uh, like dextromethorphan, a cough suppressant in that category. And, there, and the FDA is uh, in the process of reviewing all that. And as you can imagine, that takes a long time to do that. Oh, absolutely. And for prescription drugs, each individual drug is reviewed by the FDA. So if a new drug is developed by a pharmaceutical company, um, there are very uh, specific criteria they have to follow. Once they do all that and they conduct all the tests, they submit all that information, which can be thousands of pages, to the FDA just specific for that drug. And the FDA then has a committee, a subcommittee, and they make a decision whether that drug should be approved to be used or not. So it's it's individual for prescription drugs. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, coding, coding has been used to treat coffin, uh, coffin right. children, but, uh, right. you know, we're seeing a lot of studies now that are shedding new light about that. What, what can you tell us about some of those studies? Well, coding is interesting because we're learning more and more over the years. We're learning that um, there's a new, uh, relatively new field called pharmacogenetics, and that is our genetics determine our response to drugs. So um, you probably have talked to people that say they do not get a good response from Motrin for a headache or they like Tylenol better or whatever. We all respond to drugs differently, or some people always have an upset stomach with a drug and others don't. And so we're learning more and more that those differences also relate to how the drugs are metabolized. The liver is our main organ that metabolizes drugs, and there are many different enzymes in the liver that do that. We're learning that we have different speeds of those enzymes. I might metabolize a drug to a much different amount or or, uh, increased amount than you may. And codeine is not active as a drug. It has to be metabolized in the liver, and it actually gets metabolized to morphine and to another active metabolite. And so most people metabolize codeine to about 10% morphine. Others metabolize more. And so giving a drug to someone who metabolizes it more is like giving two, three, four times the normal dose. And Mm. it's interesting how this got going. There's a case report uh, a number of years ago of a woman who, I think it was in Canada, who delivered a baby. She had a C-section, she had an episiotomy, and she was given codeine for herself. Well, she was a, a fast metabolizer of codeine. She was nursing her baby. The baby was breastfeeding uh, only, no formula. She made much more morphine than most people. That morphine went into the breast milk, and the infant died. Oh. The morphine in the breast milk. Now, that's a... One case that's a bit unusual, but that's yeah. us uh, looking, wow, this can be very, very uh, significant. And so, uh, and we've had other case reports now of children uh, having significant adverse effects, breathing problems because of codeine. They probably have metabolized it to a, to a much greater amount of morphine than the average child. Mm. So in accordance with these studies, and, and in your opinion, parents probably do want to stay away from coding. Right. In fact, the American Academy of Pediatrics just issued a statement in September 
Um, and they basically said that we should stop using codeine altogether or very or limited use. And we have codeine used to be the standard drug given uh, for children when they had their tonsils out. Um, they were given Tylenol with codeine. And now that has shifted. We uh, Many physicians no longer prescribe that drug for that reason. So wow. we, have, we, are, we are progressing in the sense of not using codeine. Uh, but it still is prescribed, unfortunately. Yeah. It's not a very good drug um, because of that. So you mentioned honey earlier. What are some of the other remedies that can help children and or adults get over get over the colds that we, that we keep getting quicker? Right. So there's some things that, that parents can do. Uh, if a child has a, a stuffy nose, which is quite common, um, then uh, just suctioning out that mucus with a bulb syringe there's even a device uh, that parents can buy over the counter uh, that uh, the, the parent actually has a straw-like device, and they suck on that straw. It's connected to an adapter, and it creates a, a suction um, uh, force and helps to suck out some of the mucus in the child's nose. So a child that's too young to blow their nose on their own, that would be helpful, like, especially infants. Uh, just uh, uh, salt water. Uh, nose and uh, nose drops can be given in the nose, and the uh, increased amount of salt in there will help draw out some of the mucus in the nose. Um, Sounds lovely. <laughs> that well, that one right, device that you mentioned. Right. And, yeah. And it, it's a it's a bit more work to do that than just giving a dose of a medicine. And right. That that probably contributes to how often the medicines are used. They're a little easier to give. Right. Um, Right, <laughs> and you always you always hear about people that are are huge advocates of of things like green smoothies and just you know using good quality healthy food to right. get over some of these ailments. How much right. truth is there in that? And is there are there things in in these medications that that could help us that could give us help that maybe we couldn't get in a green smoothie, for instance? Well, well, it, you know, there, as far as I know, there. For many of those, there probably are no scientific studies, studies where it was uh, uh, the, the drug or the, uh, was studied in a scientific manner. The only thing I can think of offhand was honey, where it was compared to a placebo and the parents didn't know what they were getting. That's the best way. Uh, many of these other suggested remedies like chicken soup or something like that, as far as I know, there are no studies for that. Um, um, but... Um, uh, you know, there's anecdotal evidence that those things work, and, and, that, and they're much safer typically than, than giving drugs, and that's why we also advocate those. Well, Dr. Bell, we thank you so much for being on the Matt Townsend Show this oh, morning, you. and thank you for all the research that you're doing and the good work that you're doing at, at Drake University. Uh, a big important part of this is getting parents more educated, and, and one way that parents can become more educated is to check out Dr. Bell's book, A Parent's Guide to Children's Medicines, which was published in 2012, but uh, a second edition is coming out, and it will be published in 2017, so look for that. We will take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be speaking with Caitlin Thomas, who's going to be uh, shedding a little bit more light on Santa Claus and, and our communications that we have with our children about Santa Claus. When we return, this is The Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt, who is away sick. And uh, if you listened to our last guest, he might want to think twice about getting some of those over-the-counter drugs, but using some of those home remedies that that Dr. Bell talked about. Have your kids ever looked at you and asked, is Santa real? The effort to keep the spirit of Santa alive has always been a huge goal of parents all across the nation. And so many parents have tried so many different techniques. Caitlin Thomas is here with us this morning to share some of the methods that her parents used on her as a kid to keep the magic alive. Caitlin, welcome back to the show. Good morning. Disclaimer, if there are any parents have kids listening right now. I would turn the show off or put your kid in a different room. You have been warned. You've been warned. This is not my fault. <laughs> will not, I will not be responsible for this. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. He is real. Yes, exactly. No, but really. So one of the greatest parts about Christmas for little kids is, you know, the anticipation of Santa coming to your house and bringing you presents. Yes. I mean, of course, as parents, my parents always taught me the true meaning of Christmas and and giving gifts. But come on, there's always that little part of little kids that is just dying for Christmas morning to wake up with. Well, yeah, adults too. But little (laughs) kids, it's just this idea that Santa Claus was in their house and leaves them all these gifts. And it's a great way for parents to keep their kids behaving all year, right? It's the naughty and the nice list thing. Yeah. But, uh, I feel like nowadays it's harder and harder because so many little kids are on the internet. Oh. It's so easy for little kids to realize at an early age that Santa's not real. I have little girls in my dance classes who already – Santa's not real. I'm like, they're six. You should still believe that's in Santa. Young. It's too, too young. young. So mm-hmm. that's why I want to talk about the crazy ways the parents can help their kids continue to believe in Santa. Okay. So what have you got for us? Well, I can remember – when I was probably six or seven and I read a story in my school class about how reindeers get on your roof and you can hear them mm-hmm. if it's really if you're really quiet and you and you listen really closely. And I remember repeating that to my parents and I was like, I can't wait. Like, I'm going to stay up all night and listen. <laughs> and my parents must have taken that very seriously. And I did. I stayed up all night and my I found out obviously years and years later, that my father climbed on our roof in the freezing temperatures in the middle of December to clump right on top of my bedroom so that I could hear the reindeer on our roof. What a great dad. I know. He's awesome. I know. He was always so good. And, you know, my parents would do the glitter on the porch because the ring Santa's been there. Of course, my dad would eat the cookies, but I don't think any parents are too opposed to that. No, no. But my parents were awesome. I mean, I think I believed in Santa. Till I was maybe ten, it was a long time. That's not that's not bad. I still believe in Santa. Yes, so, I, have, I have a sister in law who, when she, she must have been in junior high or high school, and she got made fun of because she still believed believed in Santa Claus. Well, and I remember always being a kid, and my parents like I didn't ever remember having tons of money. So when I had all these gifts on Christmas, it just made sense that it was Santa. So, but there's lots of ways the parents can use now things my parents have done, but new things that you can do with technology. There's this app. It's called Parents Calling Santa, and you can buy it, and you use the app, and I don't know, you log into it, whatever, and then Santa will call your phone and talk to your kids specifically. Really? Yeah, and you can request it to be like a nice thing, like telling your child, like, and they'll call them. 
her, him or her by name and say, like, you're being nice. They can't wait to see you. I can't wait to bring you toys on Christmas. Or it can, if they're being naughty, you can have Santa call them and tell them to stop being naughty. So how does that work? Are there, like, little prompts that parents click on or is it an actual person? I, think, I don't know. I think the parents just fill out the information before and, like, the name of the child, oh. the age, like, where you live. And then I think it's just kind of like a pre-recorded message with all the blanks Interesting. In. Yeah. That's clever. But, like, as a little kid, that would that would be cool. Oh, yeah. You know, like, to hear Santa say your name over the phone. And, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's a good one because then you can use technology to fight back against the internet who's trying to destroy Santa. Um, there's this another idea that someone has. You can set up like a webcam in your living room and then obviously you're going to need a Santa suit and you put your dad in the Santa suit and have him get caught on film laying presents uh-huh. on the tree in the Santa suit. Interesting. So then, the, oh my gosh, Santa was really here. Don't do that live. <laughs> <laughs> no, not live. You have to like set it up specifically and then yeah. stage it so that yeah. it's Santa. But can you imagine the little kids waking up the next morning watching the footage? Wow. They would and just die. That seems very in line with the times, too. Yeah. Mm. See, technology. Can yeah. Back. Make sure, here's a tip that my mom always had to remember, was make sure that Santa has different handwriting than you oh, or yeah. your spouse. Like, write with your your opposite Left hand, hand or something. Or, like, yeah. have somebody else at work write down a letter or something for you so that your kids, because your kids will recognize that stuff. They're going to pull out some CSI yeah. tricks. And my, my siblings and I were huge snoops. Like, we would try everything we could to find our gifts. I don't know. My older sister just really wanted to spoil the surprise. So my mom got really smart. And uh, back when we were little, she started hiding all of our gifts at her work. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the ah. gifts were nowhere in the house. So try, if you have some or an alternative storing space, keep the gifts outside of your house because then the kids can't find it and it won't spoil the surprise of Santa Claus. Put them in the vegetable crisper. Yeah. They're never going to look there. <laughs> Put them. Anyway, so – or like – in the attic and lock it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or find someone else's house, grandma's house. I don't know. Um, here's one that I loved. I found this story off the internet. Because you want Santa's gifts to be kind of unbelievable. Like if Santa's always giving clothes, kids are going to catch on. Mm. So Santa normally gives like the big stuff, right? The stuff the mom and dad can't afford, quote unquote. But this guy, I guess his kid asked for a remote control sheep. Like the animal. Really? <laughs> Those don't exist, right? Okay. And this dad knew they didn't exist. So guess what <laughs> He dis like he took a remote control and he took the whole remote control apart and then he like unstuffed a, a real sheep and he just like assembled a remote control sheep and put it all back together. He said it wow. took him hours, but it worked and Christmas was a get, miracle. Get the remote controlled dog and just put wool on the outside of there, it. There you, you go. Can, can you I do that? Can I say something about that? So my wife is a big believer of giving uh, kids the the gifts from Santa Claus that are. Uh, are they're much smaller. They're not the big deal gifts like you were talking about. I think because she wants the credit for the really good ones, <laughs> you know? Anyway. Well, Santa is different for everybody. Sometimes Santa writes like weird names on gifts at some people's houses. Mm-hmm. My house, Santa just writes our, our real name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's this other website where you can go on and for like $6, they'll send you like a fake version of like a sleigh driving license with Santa Claus's picture but it looks like a, it has all the information of a real driver's license but it's Santa Claus and it's for driving oh, a cool. sleigh and so you can they can send it to you and then you can leave it under the tree and the kids will find it and what would that be Santa's that wouldn't there. be a class C that would be a class S maybe class for S. sleigh I know something we always uh, my kids always did they uh, they went to the NORAD website this is free and you can follow Santa the Santa tracker all yeah all around the earth yeah for the whole night I know that Terry had some too. I don't know if he'll share them, but oh, 
All right. So there's lots of ways you can get creative to help your kids keep the spirit of Christmas alive. Don't let them don't let them fall so soon. Like let them be little. Don't take away the magic from them. No, let them feel the magic because that when they feel the magic, you feel the magic. Oh. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure as a parent you can relate to that. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want anybody to take that away from me. So, so I got to do all I can. Do all you can yeah. to help your kids stay little. Let them believe in Santa. Well, Caitlin, I believe in Santa Claus, and I thank you for coming on the show today and and helping us come up with some clever ways to keep the magic alive. Here representing the North Pole today. All right. Our representative from the North, our ambassador (laughs) from the North Pole, Caitlin Thomas, and her ideas on how we can keep the magic alive for kids and Santa Claus. We'll take a, a quick break. When we come back after the BBC News, we will finally get to that gluten interview that i teased earlier this is the matt townsend show helping you live more a more magical life we'll be right back this is the matt townsend show your guide on the side follow dr matt on twitter at dr matt show call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU this is the matt townsend show dr matt townsend now on byu radio byu radio good thursday morning this is the matt townsend show it is december 8th here on the matt townsend show and december 8th pretty much everywhere else i think unless you're you know on a different time zone or something Unless you're back in time. That's right. That was a great segue, by the way, Sean O'Neill, because today is Pretend to be a Time Traveler Day. And the other time-traveling movie that came to mind when I read about this was the movie that's probably pretty obscure to a lot of people, but it's called Somewhere in Time. (sighs) So pleasant. It's probably Christopher Reeve in this movie. Christopher Reeve, Jane Seymour. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. She is a very beautiful woman. She was a a James Bond woman, too. I actually got to meet her. Really? Yeah. Was she trying to sell you jewelry? No, she was actually promoting a movie, (laughs) and she came on uh, a a talk show that I was uh, helping produce. Awesome. Oh, man. She's so great. I love Jane Seymour. Anyway... In that film, Christopher Reeve is approached by this old woman who pleads with him to come back to her. And he, she doesn't look familiar to him at all. And so he, he learns about this, this mindset that he could get into that would allow him to travel back in time. And it basically has to do with disconnecting from the world, which is a great advice, great, something great that we could all use a little help with here today, especially with social media and all the TV and movies that we watch, to just forget about it. He just removed everything that he could around him that could remind him of the current time that he was in, and he was able to travel back in time. Do you remember the one thing that uh, you never saw it? I never saw the movie. Oh, it's a very romantic movie. That's what I understand. Movie. My wife and I, when we were dating, we listened to the soundtrack all the time. And Of course, if my wife is listening right now, she's going through the DVDs trying to find it so we can watch it. Yes. Well, then I won't spoil for you uh, something oh, you that, right uh, well, there's, there's a, a very tiny object that when he takes it out of his pocket when he's back with Jane Seymour, it reminds him of the time that he is from, and all of a sudden he just gets shot right back into his own time. Um, oh, 
pretty good movie. Not as good as the the soundtrack, as you can probably tell. Anyway, it is also Brownie Day. We're the uh, brownies. Here's our aim. Lend a hand and play the game. Once again, not the type of brownies that I was referring to. I don't know. They sell cookies. Who the the Girl Scouts? Yeah. Do they sell brownies? No. Oh. Well, they they have mint. You know. Cookies. You know, I w- I would probably take a Girl Scout cookie over a brownie though, because a a Girl Scout cookie does not require ice cream to go along with it. Mm-hmm. I think you need ice cream with brownies. Anyway, I, I don't need to bore you with my personal dessert preferences or anything like that. We do want to make sure that we have time to head on over to Sadie Nielsen, who's going to tell us what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie, what's up? Donald Trump will appoint Oklahoma Attorney General Scott uh, Pruitt as the head of the Environmental Protection Agency. Pruitt has long been an outspoken critic of President Obama's EPA and even sued the agency over its water regulations as well as its controversial climate change regulations imposed on power plants, Political reports. Authorities say one law enforcement officer is dead and another is in a very, very critical condition after a shooting in southern Georgia. Georgia Bureau of Investigation spokeswoman Nellie Miles said that the two officers were shot Wednesday in Americus, about 130 miles south of Atlanta. The suspected shooter, who police identified as Minguel Kennedy Lembrick, remains at large. The officers were responding to a report of a domestic disturbance when they encountered Lembrick at the scene. Four more infants have been reported to have birth defects related to the Zika virus in New York City, the city's health department announced Wednesday. The city saw its first infant case in July when a child was born with a Zika-related birth defect, characterized by an abnormally small head or brain, often leading to significant developmental problems. Eight other New York City infants tested positive for the virus but have shown no symptoms of related impairment or birth defects, department officials said. And finally, mm-hmm. so we've heard many stories about specific care animals coming on planes to help soothe people's anxiety. Right. But what about the anxiety that you get while you're just waiting for your plane? Because that can be oh. quite mm. awful sometimes, you know? Yep. So uh, the San Francisco International Airport has employed a new animal. Um, her name is Little Lilu. She's a mini pig. Complete with a blue tutu and red hoofs, and she has joined the brigade. The brigade to uh, welcome people at the airport. Um, she is a Juliana breed, and she's one of special creatures who can help soothe customers who are concerned as they await connecting flights. Um, animals like Lilu wear vests that read "Pet Me," so people know they are part of a wag brigade. Be grade. Can't say that brigade. Yes, thank you. Yes, I'm struggling today. <laughs> it's finals week for me, so. Well, that sounds cute. My wife would love that because she loves pigs, and that is not an invitation for somebody to uh, jab is at me. Santa listening? Santa, <laughs> Jeff's wife would like a pig for Christmas? <laughs> Maybe a pig calendar. There you go. Yeah, so it's really nice. I think uh, it's interesting, though, how you know they used to like ban all these animals, and suddenly we have animals left and right, even on the inside, and wearing tutus and stuff like that. Wow. So. 
You know, Sadie, I realized you were brave enough to share your bad date story. Yes. I'm not going to give too many details, but I'll just say my worst first date involves uh, missing keys, mm-hmm. uh, black hair dye, mm-hmm. um, split pants, a mini-me doll, uh-huh. uh, a, a dance... And then to top it all off, I had several guys ask my date out on a date in front of me. Was this in high school? Yes. Yes, okay. it was. <laughs> Just taking a wild guess. I you mean... know what, though? The the awkward things that happened to me in high school don't hold a candle to the awkward things that happened to me in junior high school. Such as? Oh, we can talk about that <laughs> some other time. But uh, yes, all of those things happened on the same night, same date. And I don't think I went on another date with the girl, even mm-hmm. though it didn't really have anything to do with her. I do apologize. And <sighs> I... see, now we don't have to worry about that, right? Yep. It's done. Over Married, and done with. Done with. Yeah. It's great. Sadie, thank you so much. We appreciate all you do. You knocked it out of the park once again. Thank you. <laughs> well, we've got an interesting story here about a salt spreading machine. Did you think it was possible to have an interesting story about a salt-spreading machine? An English city council has been swamped with suggestions after asking the public to give its new gritting machine a name. The local authority tweeted a picture of the brand-new Mitsubishi salt-spreading truck and invited suggestions for a name. The idea came after the Natural Environment Research Council asked for ideas for a name for their new vessel, and Bodie McBoatface emerged as a clear favorite. New Oldham Council has received ideas including Gritter Garbo, after the uh, classic Hollywood actress uh, Greta Garbo, actually. Gritty, 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 bang, bang, after the classic Disney film. Gritney Spears. And, of course, Gritty McGritface. Among others are I'm a Celebrity, Grit Me Out of Here, Usain Salt, and Grit Expectations. Our gritters obviously play a vital role in that, and so it's nice that we can have a bit of fun by running competitions like this whilst teaching young people about road safety. We've also had suggestions such as Spready Mercury and Gritty McGritface, and if uh, you think you can top that, there's still time to enter. I had a few ideas of my own. How about Veruca Salt or True Grit? Hmm. Those are more, well, uh, the Veruca Salt is definitely, so they're not, this, is, this is in England, they're not, right? They're not punny enough for you then. Well, but Veruca Salt, they would know. I like how Veruca about, Salt, but how about True Grit, maybe not. Grit to the chopper. Like, get get to the chopper. Uh-oh. All right. How about uh, for James Brown fans? Grit on up. A little better, okay. Raised eyebrows from Sean O'Neill. And how about, I can't believe it's not Gritter. Terry, nothing? I was told if I have nothing nice to say. (laughs) So, but now I know that you have nothing nice to say about that. Anyway. Well, thank you for your your courtesy silence. (laughs) What else have we got going on, Terry? Have a grit day. Have a grit day. There we go. Humans have built a tons of things to keep us alive on this uh, planet. You have farms, airports, roads, cities, houses, computers, landfills, and so forth. Just stuff, right? Mm-hmm. 
All these things are known as the technosphere. Right? They just give it a name. Scientists have estimated that their total weight is about 30 trillion tons of stuff have been made. Wow. Made and then it's on the planet, it's in the planet with landfill, just stuff. And uh, they say it's roughly 110 pounds per square meter of the Earth's surface. My goodness. Is the stuff that we have created and put on this planet. So if you're a hoarder. Yeah. You, you probably, get rid of your stuff. You're, you're taking in more of that than you share. So you need to back up because, you know, share it. Share the volume of weight with the rest of us, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like an, wow. it was an odd number, 30 trillion tons. Mm. Uh, let's see. Most popular word on Twitter. <laughs> for 2016. What do you think it was? Trump. Uh, it wasn't oh, Trump. Nasty woman. It wasn't nasty woman. <laughs> uh, most some Orange. Bu- the Associated Press <laughs> puts out a list of buzzed about topics. Okay. Uh, the, the Olympics in Rio, mm-hmm. Pokemon Go, the Oscars, uh, Euro 2016 was a soccer tournament. Yeah. Game of Thrones, uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, RIP, RIP. Oh, okay. Was one of the biggest trends on social media as people are, you know, remembering people that they didn't know, had no contact <laughs> in their life, but they're going to talk about them on Twitter. Um, U.S. politics, of course, did dominate through with election 2016 and the candidates. Those weren't the most tweeted right mm. brexit happened mm-hmm. right there's a lot of talk about but brexit wasn't but either. that wasn't okay. it either it might it, what it is there's a little word in spanish for lemonade called lemonada limonada limonada there you go um it was tweeted by a spanish gamer who promised prizes to fans that retweeted it it resulted in more than 1.3 million retweets wow wow and did they it, get the it, prizes it spread off from the, i don't know then it spread from there so it depends, hmm. and you probably have never even seen anything of that chain of no. tweets if you're on Twitter or any of that. So, See, but that's cheating. No, I mean, that's the way it works. There's a whole world of things happening on these social media channels that you never see. So speaking of Oscars, it kind of sounds like Oscar campaigning and how people go out there and try to convince you to vote for them. Could mm-hmm. be. Could mm. be. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I'm sure you have a vote. Me? For the Oscars? No. Yeah, yeah. No. that's that's what I find funny. No. Even more funny is is they're campaigning for this vote, but yet how many people are actually voting? Yeah, exactly. And my final story of the day: residents of Trump Tower have mm-hmm. access to an unusual list of luxury building amenities, Ooh. including a full time doorman, a valet, and maid service. The only tenants now have access to an amenity even some of the most uh, most posh buildings in the, the entire country don't have access to. FBI security? The U.S. Secret Service. <laughs> wow. The building is secure. And this is some ad, some flyers that were put out by the building management. It's not Trump. It's the people who yeah. actually run the building are putting these out. Yeah. And it says the new amenity, the United States Secret Service, bragged in a, a flyer up, obtained by Political that promotes a one-bedroom apartment on the 31st floor of the tower. Best value and most secure, secure building in Manhattan. It adds another advertisement for an, an available condo ad, adds Fifth Avenue buyers interested in Secret Service protection? Question mark. <laughs> Most of Trump Tower's units are individually owned, and business associates uh, promoting the Secret Service as an amenity are not tied to Trump. Political reports that there are apparently 16 active sale listings in the building, and they're doing everything they can to sell. Well, do you know what they're saying? 
Mm. I'm guessing the price tag is a little heftier than, let's say, like a Motel 6. Oh, yeah. You could probably buy the entire unit of the Motel, Motel 6 for the one month of uh, rent. Wow. That's my guess. I don't know. So if you're worried about your safety while you travel, stay at Trump Tower, I guess. They have the Secret Service right there. Mm. And they're there for, yeah, one more month, you said? Well, foreseeable. He, he's going to be there. And that's oh. where his family is going to live. Is he moving in on the 20th? Just him? I don't Not know. Not the family. I don't know. But well, the so, Secret Service protects his family, though, too. They're going to be back and forth so, between yeah. New York and D.C. So. so if he doesn't want to use Air Force One, what if he uses Trump? He, his Trump plane? And if, what if he doesn't want to use the White House? He would rather stay in Trump Tower. He's, well, I mean, he's trying to do that. For him, it's a step down to government housing, mm-hmm. right? And then you know the airplane, I think he's backed off a little bit on that. He actually talked to the CEO of Boeing the other day. So I think that that whole flare-up was exactly what it was nothing and it's it's whatever <laughs> probably not a great first step when uh you feel like you're condescending by staying in uh, the white house yeah he's just yeah might be the, the, the and then the issue with the new york city new york city police where they're asking for 35 million dollars to compensate from october to inauguration day to protect trump tower and then what does it go on, bef- you know, continuing on as the president shows up and the police have to show up to control traffic and the Secret Service is there? Just who knows what this expense is? Uh, other presidents have had similar situations with the, you know, extra security or yeah. you know, however you secure there, there. But this is different being this massive high rise in New York. You know something you can't get at Trump Tower? What's that? Those White House bathroom towels. Yeah, but they have Trump towels, and they have, like, gold leaf, like, sewn into the towel. I guess that's true. Just sort of guessing on that. I'm not sure. Nor can you get a picture in the Lincoln bedroom. There you go. Mm. wonder how many pictures he's going to have of himself in the White House. Anyway, fun stuff. When we come back, we're, we're going to be covering the gluten topic, as I promised. We're going to be speaking with Andrea Ovard, who will be telling us the truths and myths about gluten when we return. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt while he's away sick. It seems that everywhere you look today, there are new diets, new health issues, and and new solutions. But which ones actually work? A big topic in today's world of health is gluten and whether or not it's good or bad for you. Do different people react to it differently? And why do so many people, why do so many think that gluten is bad for you? Well, here to unravel one of the trendiest nutrition topics of the day, we welcome Andrea Ovard back to our show this morning. Andrea, thank you so much for being with us again on The Matt Townsend Show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always good to be on. Yeah. So why is it that everybody today seems to be talking about gluten? You know, that's a good question. It seems like there's always a trendy new topic and, you know, one little thing happens and everyone kind of clings to it. Um, And most people don't even really know why. A lot of times we see, you know, somebody will start a diet and then when you ask them kind of why or the background, they don't even really know. So gluten is just one that... Um, you know, celiac disease has kind of been around for a while, and people, it's kind of become more and more well-known. 
And then there have been all these other kind of spin-offs of, well, gluten's bad because it makes you gain weight, or I'm just gluten-sensitive, or all these different things, and it's kind of just spiraled kind of out of control a little bit. Yeah. You know, and I, are you familiar with the comedian Jim Gaffigan? I am, yes. He's got that great routine on on diets, you yeah. know, how we just go full circle with these diets and exactly. how we're saying how bad cow's milk is, and then before you know it, we're back to cow's milk again. Right. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a vicious cycle sometimes. Yeah. Okay, so tell me, what what sort of foods is gluten found in, and what is gluten exactly? Yeah, so a lot of people don't even know what gluten is. I don't know if you've seen the Jimmy Fallon, I believe it was, did a thing where he went to L.A. to a park and asked people. People that follow a gluten-free diet, what gluten was, and they actually nobody that he showed on the film that he showed knew what gluten was. So, gluten is actually just a protein that's found in wheat and rye and barley. Um, so, most people associate it with wheat because that's kind of the most common, um, you know, one of those three that's eaten by, especially in America. Um, but it's just it's just one of the proteins that's found in those products. Okay, so what what is it what is it added into? So it's in like, you know, the most common things people think of, like bread, soups, sometimes um, pasta. It's in a lot of sauces, like soy sauce, dressings, um, cereal, any of those like starchy foods that you think of a lot of times it's it's in. Um, but it can be surprising. I, if you look at labels, um, you can find it in like ice cream or milkshakes or, um, you know, it's in like a lot of different food colorings. So sometimes if a food has artificial coloring, it'll be in there. So it's in a lot of foods. And really the only way to know for sure is to check the label. You can assume usually that it's going to be in like bread and pasta and things like that, but it's hard to really know everything that it's in unless you're checking labels and actually looking for it. Yeah. So, you know, obviously gluten is a, seems to be a problem for a lot of people, but is for people that might not seem gluten intolerant, is eating too much gluten going to be a problem for them? You know, it's really not because the the, the main focus should be on portion control and calories and what, you know, what food groups you're eating. The gluten itself Um, isn't bad for us. Like I said, it's just a protein. It's just, you know, a nutrient in the food. It's more what foods are you eating? Are you eating, you know, because gluten can be in healthy foods or it can be in unhealthy foods. Um, It can be in foods that help us gain weight or help us lose weight. So it's not necessarily the gluten itself. It's just the foods that you're choosing to eat, whether they have gluten or not. Okay. So not, it's not that like cutting gluten out of our diet is going to make us healthy necessarily, but the foods that that gluten is found in are going to be maybe not as good for us. So cutting those foods out. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, a lot of people will use the gluten-free diet as a weight loss diet and it, it can work, but it's not actually cutting out the gluten that is making it work. What's happening is gluten is a lot of times found in, you know, cookies and baked goods and different things like that that aren't necessarily, you know, eating a ton of pasta, things that are high in calories and high in fat and high in sugar. Um, And so when you cut those foods out, cutting out the calories and the fat and the sugar is helping you lose weight. But it's not that you're cutting out the gluten because you can eat gluten in, you know, whole wheat bread or wheat pasta. And those things are really helpful and, you know, can help us lose weight and have a balanced, healthy diet. Um, then you can buy, you know, gluten-free Oreos, but it doesn't mean they're healthy. So it's just which foods you're choosing. Okay, so then where does this gluten intolerance come into play? I mean, can gluten actually make us sick? So that is a very controversial topic and something that honestly we don't have a for sure answer on. Um, There's a lot of controversy around that and experts are still not even 100% sure that they know. 
Um, so celiac disease itself, which is, you know, obviously a very real disease, only affects less than 1% of the population. The estimate is that 1 in 133 Americans are have celiac disease, and that is a real disorder that, you know, causes damage to your intestines, and if you have that, you need to totally avoid gluten. The gluten intolerance... Um, they, they've come up with something that's called non-celiac gluten sensitivity, and that's the one that they're not really sure if it's necessarily legitimate or not. They think that it could be more related to, like, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, or different things like that. Um, and even the experts say that, you know, it may be a real disorder. At this point, we don't know for sure. We still need more studies. Um, but even the ones that, that do believe it is real um, say that it's a lot less common than people believe it is. They say it only affects, like, 0.6 to 6% of the population. So very small amount of people actually, if it is a real disease, have non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Yeah. So, I mean, how are, how are all these people that are saying that they're gluten intolerant, how are they coming to that conclusion then? Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, they maybe have some GI issues, some stomach issues, maybe it's irritable bowel syndrome, or even just eating, you know, spicy foods or foods that are really greasy can cause a lot of GI upset and different issues like that. And so a lot of times people, just because they know that gluten is something that they've heard causes problems, will sort of associate it. And, you know, once we start to believe something, we kind of can convince ourselves a little bit right. that maybe that's the cause. And so I think a lot of people just kind of grasp onto that as an easy source. And gluten can be um, a trigger for certain, you know, irritable bowel syndrome and things like that. Sometimes gluten can affect it. That's one of those diseases that different things affect people differently. Some people can tolerate one food and not another food, whereas somebody else with irritable bowel syndrome won't have the same triggers. So it's just a really hard thing to diagnose. And, and there really is no actual diagnosis for non-celiac gluten sensitivity. It's just more of a, you know, eliminated. If it helps, then maybe maybe that's what you're suffering from. Yeah. I just, you know, I wonder, because it seems like there are several different types of people when it comes to gluten intolerance. You know, the mm -hmm. people that do it because it's the trendy thing to do, or the people that do it because, you know, it's a psychological thing that they, yeah. they feel like they're, in gl they're gluten intolerant. And then, you know, I... Yeah, it's just hard to, to differentiate between those people and, and for themselves to differentiate between what type of person they are. Yeah, and a lot of people, I mean, they do suspect that maybe there is some kind of placebo effect, um, placebo effect to an extent. Um, they did one study that I noticed where, so I don't know if you've ever heard of the low FODMAP diet, but it's kind of more based on like the carb breakdown of different foods and how that can really affect the gut. And so they did a study where they took a bunch of people and put them on a low FODMAP diet, um, people that thought that they were gluten sensitive. And that helped their symptoms. It's a little bit different diet, um, actually more restrictive than a, than a gluten-free diet in a lot of ways. And they put them on the low FODMAP diet, and then they reintroduced either a placebo or gluten, and it didn't change how they were affected. So it was actually the low FODMAP diet that was mm. helping them, not the gluten free diet, which they had been following previously, but they just didn't really know what was affecting them. So they just used gluten and that did help to an extent, but it was actually something else that they really needed to focus on in their diet to help their symptoms. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, just in general, it seems like it's a good idea for if you notice that your body is not reacting well to certain foods, then it's probably not a good idea to keep consuming those foods, whether <laughs> right. or not gluten intolerance is involved. Mm -hmm. um, are you familiar with J.P. Sears? 
Um, I know I've heard it before, but I'm not exactly. He's the he's the guy that you see in a lot of YouTube videos. He's got the long red hair, kind of a guru, new age guy. Yeah, I've watched a few of his videos. The one on on uh, gluten intolerance is probably his best one. He talks about how uh, how he seems to be less gluten intolerant when other people aren't around. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I have seen that, and it it is. It's such a trendy thing. They did a study, um, or I, I guess just a survey. Um, where they asked people if they thought gluten was bad for them or if they avoided gluten. And about 25% of people said that they thought gluten was not nutritious. And that's not true at all, obviously, unless you have celiac disease. Um, And so a lot of people are following the diet for reasons that they don't even really understand or know about. Yeah. Well, listen, let's do this. Let's take a quick break, uh, Andrea. When we come back, let's continue this discussion. I've got uh, some other questions I was hoping you could shed some light on. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll we'll, uh, do just that. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live a healthier life, whether you're gluten intolerant or not. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt, who's out sick today once again. We're speaking with uh, Andrea Ovard. Andrea is currently, she currently works at the University of Utah Hospital as a clinical dietitian in the cardiac ICU and medical units. She is a registered dietitian who completed a degree in dietetics. Um, she is the writer and creator of the blog, The Baking Dietitian, which focuses on healthy cooking, workout routines, and nutrition tips with her readers. Her motto for overall health is simple, all things in moderation. Andrea, welcome back to the program. Thank you. And thank you for being here. You know, uh, one of the things that uh, the producers and I and and, uh, Sean O'Neill and I have been talking about during the break is, it seems like 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, this there just wasn't a whole lot of peanut aller, allergies, lactose intolerance, and certainly not uh, gluten intolerance. Mm-hmm. And it seems like we're to the point now. I've got two young kids. I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. My four-year-old goes to preschool, and it is next to it, – it's nigh impossible to – figure out a treat that we can take to preschool that everybody can partake of, you know? Right, yeah. So what what happened? What is going on that over these last 20 years, even the last 10 years, we're, we're now at a place where you can't can't bring anything that has peanuts in it or gluten or, or milk. Right. What do you, what do, yeah. you do? Or what, what's happened? Yeah. And a lot, I mean, you know, some of those allergies are definitely real things, you know, and can be even life-threatening. So those are, those are really important to pay attention to. But I do think um, there's a few different things. I think one is just, you know, as we evolve as, as humans and as food evolves, you know, maybe the things that we eat affect us differently in our gut microbe, you know, what's in our gut um, does evolve as humans evolve and what we put in it can kind of change how we tolerate different foods. So, I think to an extent, maybe, you know, the fact that we're not eating maybe as healthy as they used to can kind of cause how we digest and how we are able to tolerate foods, and maybe it's made us less tolerant of foods. I also think a big factor is 
that people have just kind of started to self-diagnose things and maybe things that aren't necessarily real, but kind of like we talked about, you know, with placebo effects and things like that. I think a lot of people just in their mind kind of decide that something isn't well tolerated and so they just kind of go with it. And another big issue, especially in women, but also in men, is people kind of use um, diets like a gluten-free diet or, you know, allergic um, allergies to different foods as sort of like a a weight loss and it's almost been diagnosed as like an eating disorder kind of behavior when people avoid certain foods just in order to avoid eating and so there's just a lot of different reasons I think that people aren't you know are are seeming to be less tolerant of foods that we used to be able to tolerate fine in general. Right and I'm sure you know parents' choices have a lot to do with it, too. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm gluten-free, so my kids are going to be gluten-free, too. Right, and then they grow up that way, and they right. teach their friends and their kids, and it just kind of becomes this bigger and bigger group of people. Yeah. So, Andrea, you've talked a little bit about celiac disease. What are, what are some of the symptoms of this disease, and what can someone do if they are diagnosed with celiac disease? Right. So celiac disease is definitely a really serious disorder. Um, again, it doesn't affect very many people, but it does affect um, one per- about 1% of the population. And it's basically, you know, what happens is you eat gluten-free foods and that, or sorry, gluten foods, foods that contain gluten, and that affects your small intestine and makes it so you can't absorb nutrients very well because the absorptive surface of your small intestine is damaged and so you're not able to absorb things as well can cause a lot of different symptoms and they may be different for different people but anywhere from like skin rashes and bloating because of those undigested nutrients um, it can cause fatigue because you're not absorbing iron very well so you might feel really tired um, or exhausted all the time even though you feel like you're getting sleep and doing everything you should Um, one main common symptom for a lot of people is just GI pain you know bloating diarrhea constipation things like that Um, so just a, and like sometimes weight loss can be a big one or failure to thrive just because you're not absorbing those nutrients. So a lot of people with celiac disease, until they figure out what it is, um, will lose weight or become very thin because they're not absorbing things. So just those are kind of some of the main symptoms to watch out for. And then once it is diagnosed, and it can only be diagnosed, it can't be self-diagnosed. Right. Yeah. Um, it can only be diagnosed through, a, usually they do a blood test first and look for antibodies in your blood. And if that comes back positive, then they go in and do a scope and actually um, take samples of your intestine and look at it and test it for actual celiac disease. And that's um, the only way to actually determine celiac for sure. And then once you have been diagnosed with celiac disease, you have to completely avoid gluten. So that means, um, you know, checking all labels, using a lot of people actually have to use if they have people in their house that are and are not celiac disease patients. Um, They have to use like separate toasters and separate utensils just because any sort of little cross-contamination can cause that um, damage to the intestines. Yeah. So let's say that I'm somebody that decides I, I want to be gluten. I don't want to have any more gluten in my diet. Mm-hmm. Is it safe for me to do that, to make that decision on my own without consulting a doctor first? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's. I mean, a lot of people do it and it's really not a very good idea for several reasons. Um, one is that a lot of the foods that we eat, especially in the U.S., are fortified with certain nutrients um, that we need in our bodies. And if we're avoiding gluten, a lot of times we'll miss out on those nutrients. Um, things like niacin, you know, a lot of vitamins and minerals, niacin, folate, iron, like I mentioned, um, calcium, thiamine, things like that that are important are in fortified cereals and breads and different things like that. So if you're 
you're just avoiding gluten, um, sometimes you can become deficient in those nutrients, especially calcium is a big one that they've noticed in gluten-free people um, that they're missing out on. And so you really need to be educated on, you know, if you are going to follow a gluten-free diet, you need to know what other things you may need to substitute in it to make sure that you're getting all the nutrients that you need. And it's kind of a pain just because usually following a gluten-free diet can sometimes be a lot more expensive. Um, it can be socially restricting because you're not able to eat a lot of foods that people maybe you know, right. go out to eat and different things like that. And um, if you do decide just, you know, I'm having some symptoms, I'm going to start a gluten-free diet, but you don't actually get tested and diagnosed for celiacs. And if you do have celiacs, you may not notice um, the symptoms as much, but that damage is occurring. So it's really a good thing to know if you have it or if you don't so that you know what what. Um, you know, precautions you need to take. Do you have any advice for people who may be gluten intolerant who who don't want to feel awkward in those social situations like you were talking about or don't want to also don't want to make people feel like they're too preachy or that they're forcing them to to adapt to them? What what are some ways how can they interact with their friends in those social settings so that it can be a more pleasant experience for everybody? Right. And sometimes that is a hard situation. Um, you know, I think one thing is just making sure that people around them are informed of, of what's going on and why, you know, if they're having problems or having issues, not just, oh, I'm just not going to eat gluten. And, you know, people maybe wonder why, but kind of explaining the situation, um, being able to provide gluten-free options. Maybe if you're going to like a dinner party or something, you know, bring something to share that you can also eat so that it's, you know, not as big of an issue. And luckily at most, because this has become such a big thing at most restaurants and grocery stores and, and things like that, they have a lot of different options. So in most cases, you can usually find something that is gluten-free and just kind of, you know, not have to make a big deal out of it because um, there's a lot of options. But I think just informing people of what's going on and trying to do your best to incorporate your own way of eating into what everyone else is doing. Yeah. Now, if we could just get the grocery retailers to lower the price of gluten-free foods and also make them easier to find in their grocery stores. Yeah, they're pretty expensive usually, and it's, it is becoming more and more, um, you know, commonplace, but it, it is still more expensive in most cases. Andrea, as we wrap up the interview here, you know, obviously with Christmas and Thanksgiving just past us, a lot of people are thinking about new diet plans. And Mm -hmm. what would you say to someone who is thinking about starting a diet plan this Christmas? Yeah, um, and I probably always sound like a broken record because I say this over and over, but I think just balance. You know, try to eat healthy. Um, I've talked before on the show about the 80-20 rule that I I try to sort of follow and I I suggest to my patients and clients, but, you know, 80% of your food is healthy, nutritious, you know, filled with vitamins and minerals. And then 20% let yourself enjoy the things that you like, because if you don't, it's going to cause a cycle of, you know, overeating and then undereating and just causing a lot of issues. So just try to find balance, try to enjoy the foods that you like in moderation, try to focus on healthy foods. I'm not a big fan of specific diets, but more just overall balanced, healthy eating and moderation, like I say, but... Well, Andrea, thank you so much for, for being with us this morning. We've, we've really appreciated you, and we're, we're glad that you helped uh, shed some light on the truths and myths about gluten. Uh, check out her blog. She is the creator of the blog, The Baking Dietitian, and she works as a clinical dietitian in the cardiac ICU and medical units at the University of Utah Hospital. And uh, we've really appreciated having her on the program this morning. When we come back... We'll be speaking with our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation, who hopefully are going to talk to us a little bit more about those BYU wins last night. And uh, we'll have some fun when we come back. This is The Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back to the program. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're still Dr. Mattless, but that's okay. Hopefully he'll be back tomorrow. He's been feeling under the weather, but it's his loss and my gain because right now we're heading over to our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. How are you, gentlemen? Spencer's back. He's I back. Am back. He's wearing the number 45. He was number 23 before. So it's mm. a little different. Ooh, Good to have you back. Barons. Perfect timing, too, because today is uh, pretend to be a time traveler day. Really? Oh, man. <laughs> well, then. Everybody what? asked me what my superpower would be if I were a superhero, and it's the ability to travel through time. Really? Would I, you go forward or backward? Both. You'd mess up everything, though. I, lo- I love that concept. The space-time continuum. It's cheap storytelling, but it works. It's cheap. really fun. Now, when you say cheap, do you just mean it's been overdone? No, it's just too easy to be like, well, let's go back in time and adjust this. Or I'll go ahead in the future and find out when it. It's, it I just seems kind of cheap. I don't want cheap. to adjust things. I just want to go back and experience things like different sporting events. and <laughs> I just want instant replay from different angles of life's moments. Now, I'm guessing that the two of you would want to go back uh, and pick up that sports almanac and put some like money Biff? down. Yeah. Okay, tell me you wouldn't be a little bit inclined to do something like that. I will admit, I will admit, um, I, yeah... Too bad they couldn't make the 2015 uh, Cubs win happen. Yeah, against the Miami Marlins. Yeah. <laughs> because they said against Miami. There was no team in Miami. Right. Or was it Florida and vice versa? I can't remember. No, this, it said it the said Cubs Miami. went over Miami. No, I think, wasn't it an unspecified Florida team? Or was it a Miami team? I can't remember team? if it said Miami I'm or Florida. I'm pretty sure it was Miami. Hmm. And, so and there happened, was no team in like... Miami, and then they moved and rebranded to Miami. And now they're the Miami Marlins. They didn't move to Miami. They just rebranded as Miami. Yes. So everyone was like, what? Mm. Miami didn't make the playoffs, but the Cubs did. That looks anyway. Well, yeah, I'd, I do love money, so yeah, I'd probably do that. <laughs> I bet if uh, if Matt were here with us today, he would probably go back in time and uh, not shake my hand a few days ago. <laughs> because otherwise he might be sick. <laughs> he claims that I made him sick. I had a really bad cold, and then I was just getting over it, and then I think my kids gave it right back to me because my daughter coughed right in my face. Oh, Jeff. Well, then. <sighs> oh, Hefe. Oh, you know, one thing I mentioned earlier on the program is I would probably go back in time and change some of the dates that I've been on because we uh, mm-hmm. we talked about a guy that got pulled over on a, on a blind date and the cops pulled him over, and while the cop was going back to his car to process all the information, he threw his date out of the car and took the police on a high-speed chase. Okay. And he well, got away. And but, he uh, got away? And so did the date. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he's going on a second date with I her. I doubt that. Yeah. 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 Be amazing. Be hey, like, babe, I'll call you later. My life Get out of my car. is that exciting every day. <laughs> we, and and we, we shared some of our, our bad date Stories. Do either of you have any bad first or blind dates that you went on? Oh, Not that I want to share. Do I ever? <laughs> trying to think about others. Do I ever, it's not Jeff? About a singular experience I don't want to share. <laughs> uh, I'll, give you the, I'll give you a brief summary. Okay. It ended with me running over a mailbox. Whoa. <laughs> I haven't heard mm. this one. What? <laughs> it was fantastic. Wow. And her huge. Muscly, beefy dad calling me a few days later and playing a prank on me about how much the mailbox costed and that he was really super angry with me. Mm. Yeah. 
You ran over it. You weren't you weren't driving by with a baseball bat or anything like no, that. Okay. No, 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 no. This was no. in high school or college. This was uh, just before I left my mission. I had graduated from high school, but it was in that transition period between where high no school. girl wants to actually get involved with you. Oh no, no, nope. She was still in high school, <laughs> so it was it was all good. There was the novelty of writing to a missionary, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So literally writing because email yeah. was still a, yeah. I can share a bad breakup or an interesting breakup story really quick. So I, you know, you go on a walk and you're going to have a talk with your significant other. And I was breaking up with her. And uh, when I said, I think we need to break up, her countenance just lit up. And she said, oh, I'm so happy. What? Not the uh, reaction I was expecting. Wow. But it, it, it turns out I think she had a she had a missionary that she was probably waiting for, and he was coming home, and so she was glad that she didn't have to have that same conversation with me down the line, I'm sure. Wow. You, you did her a solid. Anyway, I just never had anybody say they were happy that they could sever their relationship with me. <laughs> hey, at least it didn't cost you 150 bucks to replace the mailbox. Oh, okay. good point. But what's good the point. price of a broken heart, Spencer? Exactly. Oh, good grief. So, guys, we got about a minute left. <laughs> what's coming up on BYU Sports Nation here at 10 o'clock? Who today, cares? Today, Let's talk about dating cares? stories. <laughs> Today's loaded, actually. We're going to talk about BYU won, but why is there concern coming out of the BYU we were taking? Hmm. What is, and what did Dave Rose say is an issue right now? And what about uh, women's basketball? Hey, winning is fun, right? Shooter McJudkins, Jeff Judkins, will be on the show. We're jamming with Juddy, former NBA guy. What's the current state of the women's hoops team with a star like Kalani Purcell, the senior from New Zealand? So we, uh, we'll get the latest on that. And we forgot to mention Mark Durant, who's the radio analyst for the BYU basketball team. Uh, he always brings conservative and passive opinions. Nope. Not to BYU Sports Nation. He'll weigh in on BYU hoops as well. Plus, our going for two picks that were terrible last night. And a little big deal, no deal. Mark's about as PG-13 as BYU Sports Nation is going to get. True that. <laughs> Anything else? Oh, let's see. Uh, somebody from BYU made an appearance on the Fallon Show last night. Yep. Hmm. We'll get yep. into that. And Jamal Williams uh, is named uh, one of the best running backs uh, in the NFL draft class. We'll just tell you who said it and what they said. Speaking of, of dates, you guys are just a couple of teases. Well, that's what we, we don't do. get to. We don't get any of the details for another I few minutes. I had a nickel, Hefe. <laughs> hey, just remember, Jeff, when they're flashing the lights, the porch lights on and off at you, it's not because they're so enamored with you and saying goodbye. It's because they're trying to warn you that you're going to run into something. Okay. <laughs> Good tip. Okay. I will remember that. All right, we got to let you go. Uh, knock them dead and have a great show. Go team. Stay sweet. <sighs> Those guys have good stories. Good tips too. If you see a flashing light, doesn't mean they're be, doesn't mean they're enamored with you. Well, let's do another funny story before we uh, get to the hero story of the day. A bystander dressed only in underpants helped police arrest an unlicensed unlicensed driver who allegedly crashed a car into an Australian takeout restaurant on Thursday, then fled, reports the AP. Daniel McConnell says he was lying in bed at home in the Brisbane uh, suburb of Hendra at 2 a.m. when a car slammed into the front of a neighboring fish and chip shop, which I think would upset anybody, which had closed for the night. I've come outside and I've seen all of this commotion over here and I was in me jocks. McConnell tells ABC Australia, referring to his briefs, of course. McConnell says he saw the driver run away and gave chase. All I had on was MeUndies, and he started to take off up the street, and I said, What are you doing, mate? 
and I started following him. He's like, don't be a hero, McConnell says. McConnell says he returned home to grab his keys, then uh, then gave chase again in his car, still nearly naked. Police arrived and McConnell flashed his headlights to grab their attention. Queensland State Police acknowledged that McConnell had directed them to the street where the 35-year-old driver was arrested. You know, maybe this could be our hero story of the day. Uh, a, a scantily clad, well, that's not a good way to, to describe it, but a man just dressed in his underpants could still bring about justice. What a great guy. What a trooper, you know, to just, whatever, you know, come, whether he is fully dressed or not, he's going to help out and catch the bad guys. Another hero before our hero story of the day. Ah. Speaking of of heroes, other heroes, fully dressed heroes. A 19-year-old man is being hailed a hero for leaping into a lake to rescue two teenagers who plunged off a dock when the driver lost control of the car and swerved off the road. Cullen Malzo said he heard the accident Thursday afternoon, went outside and from his driveway saw the vehicle on its roof in Lake Mayapak and Mahapak. He called 911 and then jumped in the lake to rescue the two young girls. I saw the car was flipped upside down about three-fourths of the way in the water, he said. Malzo said he waded through about three to four feet of water and mud, stretched his arm through a window that had been broken during the crash and pulled the two young women out. Both teenagers were okay to, uh, and taken to a hospital uh, for evaluation, and they're, they're going to be okay. So, another great hero of the day. Folks, look for those opportunities out there for you to be a hero. And it doesn't always have to be in the case of saving someone's life. You can be a hero in smaller ways by helping somebody cross the street that's elderly or who uh, looks like uh, they're not doing too well. You can leave an anonymous gift on somebody's doorstep, and you never know. It might be a gift that they really needed. They may have had a bad day or just needed to know that somebody loves them. So go out there and look for those opportunities and be a hero. And uh, who knows, maybe maybe we'll uh, feature you on the Matt Townsend Show one day. That's going to do it for the Matt Townsend Program today. Hopefully uh, we'll be with Dr. Matt here tomorrow morning. We wish him well. Our thoughts and our prayers and our positive energy go out his way. And until tomorrow, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live a healthy and more, hopefully, heroic life. We'll talk tomorrow.